The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. We've covered more than a few legends, myths, and fables on Time Suck so far. After digging into topics previously like Norse mythology and the Greek gods and the legend of King Arthur to the Brothers Grimm and more, we've learned that supernatural tales of human history are woven into the beliefs and cultures of every distinct group of peoples on Earth. On today's episode, we return again to Russia, but this time not to explore the life in terrible times of a serial killer or uh, even worse, a mass murderous dictator. This time we investigate our second Slavic mythical creature, Baba Yaga. The first Slavic creature we sucked was way back in December of 2016, Krampus, the Christmas Devil. So who is Baba Yaga? She's one of the best-known legends of Slavic folklore. She's a supernatural figure who is one of the major sources of what we think of as the stereotypical witch today, an ugly, old, mean, scary manipulator of magic and evil. Baba Yaga is also said to roam the countryside in one of the strangest mobile homes you've ever imagined, one with chicken feet instead of wheels. She's usually presented as a fearsome apparition, but according to the tales, Baba Yaga isn't always bad. Like many gods and goddesses, she's capricious. She's moody. Her attitude depends on the moment and who she's dealing with. She's a Slavic guardian who stands between the worlds of the living and the dead. She's a protector of nature. She also should really be avoided at all costs. While she's portrayed in a variety of ways, some good and some bad, she's she's mostly bad. Mostly a potentially uh, very dangerous character to run into. What makes Baba Yaga so terrifying? According to some tales, her very appearance alone is enough to strike terror in one. She's hideous. She's not, as they say, a looker. Plus, not only will she very likely kill you, she'll also eat you. She seems especially fond of eating children who wander too far from home, which is, uh, you know, pretty scary. Not not great. Today, in addition to looking into the history of Baba Yaga, we'll also take a gander at Slavic-Russian folklore in general. We'll find out who saved Baba Yaga from becoming lost to history under Russia's early communist rule. We'll check out a number of other characters that populate Baba Yaga's strange, dark world. Whether she's a cannibalistic monster or a stern goddess of nature, Baba Yaga continues to inspire artists and storytellers across the globe today. Let's find out why. Let's get to sucking this magic hag. 
Time Suck Space Lizards have voted and they've decided to get a little extra weird and a little extra magical today on Time Suck. This is Michael McDonald and you're listening to Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Happy Monday, Meat Stack. Step inside the cult of the curious. Only the real curious hopping into this one. This isn't a topic for someone who needs a recognizable subject. Not a topic for the casual true crime fan or major uh, event history buff swinging on by. This This is a deep cut. I'm Dan Cummins, the master sucker, suck nasty, pooty and juju comic book inker. And you are listening to Time Suck. Nimrod, Lucifina, Bojangles, Triple M, I, I hail you all. Recording in the Suck Dungeon again in CDA, Daylight Savings Time, making it uh, feel, feel good over here. A little, little sunnier, like spring is just right around the corner, loving the sunshine. We've had, we have had a, a lot of uh, sunny days recently. Hope you are having sunny days wherever you are. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're uh, not too uh, uh, scared of all the corona talk. Uh, got more great Time Sucker updates at the end of today's show. A non-polarizing show today, too. I, I like that this week. I know many of you do not agree with my uh, my take on some recent episodes, and that's good. I like that you don't just agree with the opinions I uh, throw in between the facts of a story. You shouldn't. You should question me and question everybody else. Also, I know most of you uh, keep listening when you don't agree, and thank you for that. I'm very lucky. Hail Nimrod. I may not always say what you want to hear, but at least I'm not just sitting here just sucking your collective dick, saying what I think you want to hear. We get enough of that in other places in life. Uh, you can find someone else to do that if you want, uh, you know, uh, somebody to pander. Just like most media now, panders uh, exclusively to the left or the right. Plenty of that going around. Uh, not me. And I won't do it going forward either. Going to do my best to tell the stories as truthfully as possible and, uh, and make it obvious when I'm adding my own opinions. And at the end of the day, that's all they are, opinions. Uh, thanks for the continued ratings and reviews. Feels good to see those keep rolling in. They keep helping spread the suck. Thanks for spreading it to your coworkers and families and friends as well. I'm always grateful and uh, surprised. This is, a, this is a tough show, I think, to spread sometimes. But it does spread. I, I, don't, I don't need to understand it. I just appreciate it. It's, uh, not for the easily offended or faint of heart. Hoping I had a blast in Nashville and Huntington uh, last weekend. I had to record this ahead of those shows. I'm going to say I had a great time. Continuing to work on a lot of new tales. Uh, the Toxic Thoughts Tour heads to the Punchline in Philly next weekend, March 26th to 28th. Then I'll be at Hawaiian Brian's in Honolulu, Hawaii, Sunday, April 5th. First Big Island show. Looks like a lot of people will be there to watch, so you know, that's good. And uh, after that secret show in Houston, Texas Theater in Dallas, the Laugh Out Loud Comedy Club in San Antonio, the Punch Sun in Hot Atlanta, Georgia, then it's Cobbs in San Francisco, Boston, Cleveland, and more. Uh, new fun silly tea hitting the badmagicmerch.com store today, a Time Suck logo pizza tea, a pepperoni pizza suck tea. It looks delicious, and it's a very cool creative design. And speaking of cool and creative designs, uh, minor moon landing film tee uh, controversy the other week. Some other store thought that our store uh, stole the design, and the claim is, uh, frankly, uh, fucking absurd. Uh, Logan showed me the design we used for that tee way back before the moon landing episode, way back with the Killdozer suck, and I didn't want to do it then. I didn't want to have a Killdozer crew shirt. Uh, and so it was shelved, and then he brought it back out for the moon landing. Same font, same color. You know, and then uh, someone thought we stole their design, even though there are a lot of other moon landing crew uh, tea designs on Amazon. What people forget with designs is that there are tens of thousands of people online cranking out designs. So yeah, sometimes things are going to look similar. It's called parallel development. There's only so many fonts, only so many colors. I can't tell you how many people have written into me over the years, uh, long before uh, Time Suck, about so-and-so stole my joke with stand-up. And then I watch and be like, nope. And I've been accused the other way. Oh, you stole so-and-so's joke. And I'm like, whose joke? Never even heard of that person. Uh, you know, 
so, so two different people talk about elevators or tattoos or whatever. They have similar uh, life perspectives. They're gonna they're gonna write similar jokes and similar designs are gonna be made. It happens, and uh, and I just wanted to address. I wanted to stand up for Logan because I love that dude and I think he's a kick ass fucking designer. And I'm uh, very excited with the awesome job he does, kicking out so much amazingness uh, every week. So uh, just a little appreciation, a little love for the Spicy Club. And uh, now let's get to our topic. If you're not a Patreon space, you're listening to The Secret Suck, whose votes determine two topics a month. This topic probably just came out of nowhere for you. On The Secret Suck, we've been talking about Baba Yaga for a long time. She's, she's almost won numerous topic votes, and now she's finally here. So I hope you enjoy our Space Lizard's choice. If you are a Space Lizard, I hope this uh, tale today lives up to the, the buildup. So let's get to sucking another Russian topic. What is big deal? Baba Yaga's big deal. Should make all Russian penal soft shamecock with scared chicken feet of terror. What is Chikatilo talking about? Let's find out. Before we dig into Yaga, we're going to first uh, learn a bit about the Slavic folklore from whence she came. We'll go over the people who helped save Slavic folklore from extinction, and we'll go over some other colorful characters who come from the same world because they're super weird and fun to talk about. Uh, if you watch The Witcher on Netflix or you've read those books or played those games, you already know a lot about these creatures, some of them. Uh, the Witcher franchise draws heavily, as it turns out, from the world of Slavic folklore. More on that in a bit. And, and then the second half, we'll dive right into oh, so much Yaga. So let's start by figuring out what Slavic folklore even is. In the, in the Brother Grimm suck, uh, Brothers Grimm, we learned a lot about Germanic folklore. Now we're going to learn about the folklore of the only ethno-linguistic group in Europe bigger than the Germanic peoples, the Slavic peoples. Present-day Slavic people are classified into three main groups, East Slavs, Belarusians, Russians, Ukrainians, uh, uh, Russians, and then there are the West Slavs, Czechs, uh, Kashubs, Silesians, Slovaks, and Sorbs. Then there are the South Slavs, Bosniaks, Bulgarians, Croats, Macedonians, Montenegrins, Serbs, and Slovenes. Basically, nearly all the peoples of Eastern Europe and most of Russia share a common origin, uh, and, the, and the language comes from the same tree. So while I said this uh, legend is Russian, the most early stories about Baba Yaga uh, do come from Russia, uh, but really it's Slavic. And tales exist across not just Russia, but across a variety of Slavic nations, since they're all related. Uh, today, though, we will primarily focus on Russian folklore. These characters and their tales express themselves differently in different cultures. Uh, Russian fairy tales are deep, deeply rooted in ancient Slavic mythology, and they're fascinating. I think I misspoke a second ago. Uh, you know, um, the, the earliest tales do not necessarily come from it. They don't know exactly where the earliest tales of Baba Yaga, these other characters, come from. Uh, they come from a, across a variety of Slavic cultures. So, yeah, just wanted to correct myself there. Uh, yeah, these stories, are, they're, they're fascinating. They're vibrant, riveting, poetic tales of gods and demons, heroes and witches, how Russians of centuries past tried to make sense of the world, how the Slavs of the past tried to make sense of the world. They're, these stories are just as interesting and crazy as the tales of the Norse gods, the Greek gods from the same period of history. Like the Greek and the Greeks and the Vikings, the pagan Slavic religion had deities for everything, such as water and household spirits. Like the fairy tales of so many other cultures, many of these stories were for children, you know, teaching them lessons, teaching them about manners, traditions, warning against natural dangers, scaring the shit out of them, which I'm sure uh, made some of their Slavic parents laugh their Slavic asses off. Did you read children bedtime story, Igor? Yes, Olga, I read to Nikolai and Zoya. I read them uh, Baba Yaga. They both cry very much. They beg to stop. Good, Igor. Maybe now they're not hiding forest. Maybe now they come quick when I ask inside for dinner food time. You know, probably that kind of stuff. Russian fairy tales nearly saw their complete extinction, first when the Eastern Orthodox Church tried to obliterate them as they spread Christianity. 
Everything before the word of the Christian God was considered pagan. Everything pagan was considered satanic and needed to be forgotten. And then when they were nearly wiped out again in the wake of Soviet rule because uh, communist proponents initially found folklore detrimental to furthering their ideals, right, luckily some people saved them. Early communists like, no fairy tales. Every Russian know fairy tales make fairies. On the story of strong communist Russian men, sexy and strong communist Russian women, be told now. Also many stories of strong uh, communist Russian men killing all other weak men, especially capitalist fairy men, also now be told. Luckily, a literary and historically-minded communist man, Maxim Gorky, stressed the importance and artistic value of a nation's folklore, how important it was towards building a cohesive national identity. He convinced Soviet leaders that the fairy tales were, in fact, in line with communist beliefs and could be altered a little bit to be more in line. Uh, They would help foster patriotism, support a burgeoning Soviet society. Gorky was an interesting dude. Uh, Born in Russia in 1868, he had a complicated relationship with his fellow communists. Dude was an orphan at the age of 11. Lived on his own beginning at the age of 12 when he bounced out of his grandparents' house. Took odd jobs that sent him all around Russia. That'll make you grow up fast. Just living on your own at 12. Uh, He was a five-time nominee by the end of his life for the Nobel Peace Prize for literature. Wrote a number of heralded plays such as The Lower Depths and The Children of the Sun. He was very much an anti-Czarist. Hated royalty. Hated the aristocracy. Was politically active before the Bolshevik Revolution. Getting arrested numerous times for various protests against the, uh, you know, royalty. He lived outside of Russia for long periods of exile, numerous points during his life. He was a big supporter of Lenin, and he helped Lenin's rise to power. And then once the Bolsheviks took over, he realized he wasn't a big supporter of communism after all. He was like, God damn it. This is even worse than having a monarchy. And then Stalin took over, and uh, he thought maybe things were better. And Stalin talked Gorky into returning to Russia in 1928. Uh, more bribed him than talked him into it. Gorky was struggling financially abroad. And he's like, I don't know, maybe communism isn't that bad, I guess. Stalin made him a sweet offer to come back, you know, and help with propaganda. Gorky was given a huge, luxurious mansion. He was appointed president of the Union of Soviet Writers, a position made for him. And he was like, okay, all right. Maybe communism isn't that bad after all. You know, at least, at least not for me. These are, uh, these are these are pretty sweet accommodations. You know, money talks. Always has, always will. A lot harder to hate the government when you're living high in the hog. And then around 1932, he started to disagree with Stalin about the, what Russian authors were supposed to write. He was like, damn it. Why do I have to be an artist? Why do I have to feel the need to express my own truths? And Stalin was like, uh, yeah, we, we didn't give you that big house uh, so you could be an artist. Uh, we were thinking more along the lines of a, like an artsy type puppet. You, you can be an artist as long as your art always agrees with my vision for Mother Russia. And by 1934, he was placed under house arrest and he was censored. And then he was like, I fuck, God, I, now I remember, I do fucking hate communism. That's right. For sure I do. And then in 1936, still under house arrest, he uh, still on getting along with Stalin. He died officially of pneumonia. Unofficially, many think Soviet secret police murdered him for having opinions that were different than Stalin's opinions, uh, which was one of the worst crimes you could have or commit, excuse me, in Stalinist Soviet Russia. It was definitely punishable by death. Before he died, though, he did convince Stalin to allow Slavic folklore to stay, which is why he gets mentioned in today's tale. And because of Gorky's efforts, the 1920s became the golden age of Russian folklore as research and preservation efforts were expanded to increase the country's collection of fairy tales and folk tales. Many new Russian writers took the stage and wrote plays full of contemporary folklore that extolled political leaders like Stalin, uh, imparted communist ideals and morals. In this way, Russia's folklore was not only a means to maintain tradition and impart values and morals to a community, but also a means of distributing Soviet propaganda to the masses. So this folklore revival that Gorky helped with was uh, both really good and really terrible. 
Uh, we get to keep all of our old stories, yay! But we have to kind of alter them to make uh, sure they talk about how incredible life is with Stalin. Boo! Uh, Russian fairy tale heroes and Slavic gods continue to be depicted in the modern art of Russia. Various holidays are held annually to celebrate favorites. Though Russia adopted Christianity in the 10th century and religious leaders for hundreds of years had tried to replace Slavic gods with Christian icons, the heroes of yore persisted and were never entirely eradicated. Pesky Baba Yaga just couldn't be erased. Right? They were able to make it to the communist era. Even when Jesus was like, please, come on. If you stop living in the woods with a house with chicken feet, if you stop eating kids, I'll let you live in heaven. And Baba Yaga was like, no, nah, I like it. I like the, I like the tasty kids. I'm going to eat them. And Jesus was like, come on. I can't support you eating kids. I, I died so those kids could live. You know, I'll let you live forever if you just knock it off. Bobby Yago's like, nah, I don't want to live if I can't eat those kids. I like those tasty kids. And Jesus was like, please, I got harps and stuff. I got streets of gold. No more, no more pain. Bobby Yago's like, nah, I like pain. I like the tasty kids and the, but the pains I put on them. And I said, you know, you got, no, you got no chicken feed houses in the heaven. And Jesus was like, bitch, get your ugly hag ass out of the woods or I'll slap you to hell. And then Jesus was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just, you're very frustrating. Forgive me, Father. I was, I was out of character. Peace, peace be with you, Baba Yaga. Or something like that. She survived. Russia has a wide and rich collection of folklore, due largely to a handful of men who acted as cultural conservationists. Not just Gorky. There's others. Folklorist Alexander of, uh, Afanasha, poet Alexander Pushkin, British scholar Robert Steele. Well, Afanasha and Pushkin wrote uh, new works and brought back old ideas, Steele gathered and anthologized numerous folk tales from the region into the fairy tale collection known as the Russian Garland. Let's first briefly meet the two Russian writers, Afanasha and Pushkin. Also interesting lives. Alexander uh, Nikolaevich Afanasha was a Russian Slavist and ethnographer who published nearly 600 Russian fairy and folk tales. One of the largest collections of folklore in the world. The first edition of his collection was published in eight volumes from 1855 to 1868, earning him a, a reputation of being the, the Russian equivalent of the Brothers Grimm. He was like a long-lost Grimm brother born with a way less easy-to-say and catchy last name. Afanasha. Alexander Nikolaevich Afanasha was born on July 12, 1826 in a very rural part of Russia. I was unable to locate a pronunciation guide for it. I'm not going to try and say it that, since I don't speak Russian. And I'm guessing less than 1% of you will have any idea of where I'm talking about anyway. He was born in a very small town. that got a lot of snow every winter where most people probably hated their lives. And they probably stared off in the middle distance a lot, uh, wondering what the fucking point of it all was. I I'm guessing. Uh, he was born into a family of modest means who were probably sad most of the time that they had to live there. Again, speculating about that. But his mother was uh, Varvara Mikhailovna Afanasha. I probably butchered her two first names because... YouTube doesn't give a shit about her. Uh, he came from common folk. Alexander was Varvara's seventh child and she became very ill after giving birth to him and she died by the end of the year. So yeah, he probably wasn't dad's favorite. Probably wasn't his favorite kid. Alexander, could you maybe go fetch fresh milk and, from barn for dinner? At least you could do really after killing wife. At least you could do after ruining childhood for all brother and sister with kill, killing mother. Uh, Alexander and his siblings were raised by their father, Nikolai Ivanovich Afanasha, who served as a prosecutor's assistant. Alexander became a, a voracious reader as a child. He had access to the well-stocked library left to his family by his grandfather, as well as to various magazines from his father. And, uh, and I feel like I'm, the, I'm a member of the last generation of people who will truly, truly understand firsthand how cool it was to have access to a lot of books as a kid. Like, like I grew up pre-internet because I'm, according to my kids, a total boomer. And uh, we didn't have a bookstore in town or in the next town over, or in the next town over from that. Not that I remember. We had a small town library, like teeny tiny, about the size of two bedrooms. 
and I read every Stephen King book they had. And my grandparents had a series of Time Life hardcover books about the Wild West. They had an encyclopedia, and I would just read that shit all the time. My great-grandpa had a farmer's almanacs and tons of National Geographics. I'd read those all the time. I'd get the occasional comic book that showed up at the grocery store. I had a subscription to Sports Illustrated. because on a commercial, they had a 1-800 number, and I saved my allowance. And I I may or may not have nearly broken my wrist reading articles on Kathy Ireland. Hell, Lucifina. And uh, and that was it. That was what I had access to. I couldn't browse the web. Couldn't hop on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com or many other online book retailers. Couldn't uh, order any book in print. You know, they didn't have audio books. I I had friends who had access to less books than I had. I'd go to their houses for sleepovers. You know, they didn't have hardly any books. It was huge to have that access. It fueled my imagination. Let me years later become a storyteller. I'm so thankful for those early books, encyclopedias, magazines, and more. And when Alexander was a kid, books were even more limited, much more limited than when I grew up. Right? It's just luck of the draw, where you were born, what family you were born into. Every town didn't have a library. The grocery store didn't have a book stand. Your family having a personal library was huge, rare, and wonderful. Now we all have access to an online library far, far more vast than anyone on earth had back in the early 19th century. A lot of free PDFs out there. It's pretty amazing. Uh, Alexander, in large part due to access to uh, that library feeding his young sponge of a mind, would become an academic. And he'd grow up and write a series of articles on government economy during the times of Peter the Great. Later, he'd find a place at Moscow's main archive directorate under the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the Russian Empire. He'd worked there for 13 years. During that time, he met many people of science and culture. He collected a lot of ancient books and manuscripts that formed a huge library. His articles, reviews, ethnographical and historical works regularly appeared in the leading Russian magazines of the day, newspapers, almanacs, scientific periodicals. In 1855, Alexander headed the state commission responsible for publication of legislative, historical, and literary works. Uh, Due to the complicated politics of the time, he'd lose that job and would be unable to find stable work for several years. He eventually had to sell his library to feed his family. It was a shitty political climate back then. Despite the hardships, he continued to write. In 1870, he published his most important work, Russian Children's Fairy Tales. Might sound familiar? Children's and Household Tales by the Brothers Grimm, first published in various Germanic states in 1812. Roughly 60 years later, Alexander publishes the Russian counterpart, complete with Baba Yaga. And then he does not live happily ever after, unfortunately. He spends the remainder of his short life in extreme poverty, dies at the age of 45 in Moscow after years of suffering with tuberculosis. Shitty time to be alive back then in so many ways. Uh, But he published Baba Yaga. So that's, that part's happy. And I probably wouldn't be uh, talking about him today, you know, had he not published her story. Prior to Alexander, uh, Afnasha's works in the 1850s, that, that name does not roll off the tongue for me. Afnasha's. Uh, only a few attempts had ever been made to record or study the folk beliefs of peasant Russia. Now let's meet another Alexander, poet Alexander Pushkin, a hothead. This guy, <laughs> this guy was a dueler. Talk about that here in a second. This, uh, this guy's not to be confused with Alexander Pushkin, the chessboard serial killer. Subject to time sec 109. Very different dudes. One far more murdery than the other. Uh, one way more into folklore than the other. But they both did try to kill a lot of people. <laughs> Talk about that. This Alexander was a beloved, uh, beloved Russian author who published verses based on fairy and folk tales from Russia. Uh, Alexander Pushkin, the father of Russian literature, born on May 26, 1799 in Moscow into a noble boyar family. His maternal great-grandfather, interestingly, was full African from the area of Cameroon, very uncommon in Russia. His great-grandfather was Abram Petrovich Ganibal, African man adopted as a young child by a royal Russian court, a man who would be married twice. Uh, he got his first divorce because he was uh, easily able to determine that his first wife was unfaithful because she, uh, she had a white baby. And he was, uh, you know, like, you know, he was the only dude in like the area that wasn't white. So he was, 
pretty confident that the baby wasn't his. He was granted divorce. Uh, he and his second wife had 10 kids. One became a distinguished naval officer, Ivan Gannibal. Ivan attained the second highest military rank possible in the Imperial Army, General-in-Chief. And I love Ivan's portraits. It was common at the time for nobles to have oil portraits. And there's a portrait of Ivan, hairstyle and dress exactly like all these old, very fair-skinned Russian dudes, but skin much darker. It, it stands out in the same way it would stand out if you were looking through old, like, archival photos of aboriginal tribesmen in Australia or, you know, Papua New Guinea, wearing somewhere, wearing next to nothing. And they all look very similar except for one random old white dude, just long, straight hair, blue eyes, pale skin, all fucking sunburnt, you know, holding a spear, butt naked, looking like it was Photoshopped, you know, dick maybe a little smaller than his fellow tribesmen. Uh, it's such a funny image to be. Uh, just an interesting bit of history. Interesting how much more progressive and evolved the Russians were in the late 18th, early 19th centuries uh, than like the U.S. when it came to race relations. Uh, Abram is a royal and his son is a royal and a distinguished general. While at the exact same time, both of them would have been slaves in much of America. Uh, Imperial Russia did have slave equivalents, though. Serfs. Peasants who were legally owned by the men who owned the land they farmed. Uh, being a serf just didn't have anything to do with race. It had everything to do with money, not being born into the right land-owning royal family. So I guess overall, Russians weren't that evolved. Just, uh, just different. Anyway, like, the, uh, like many aristocratic families in the early 19th century, uh, Russia, Pushkin's parents adopted French culture. He and his brother and sister learned to talk and read in French. They were also left to uh, the care of their maternal grandmother who told Alexander stories of his ancestors in Russian. In 1811, Pushkin entered the newly founded Imperial Lyceum near St. Petersburg. Lyceum being a sort of elite university equivalent. Think Ivy League if you're an American or familiar with American Ivy League schools. Uh, this institution, long since closed, was later renamed Pushkin Lyceum. Alexander's literary career began there with the publication of his verse, To My Friend, the Poet. While at the Lyceum, he also began his first completed major work, the romantic poem Ruslan i Ludmilia, uh, written in the style of narrative poems of Voltaire, but with an old Russian setting and making use of Russian folklore. In 1817, Pushkin accepted a post in the foreign office at St. Petersburg, where he was elected to an exclusive literary circle founded by his uncle's friends. He's very hoity-toity. He also got political to the detriment of his career in 1818 and 1819. Interesting how that has not gone away. People often stop listening to artists now if they preach political views they don't agree with. In centuries past, these people didn't just lose fans. Oftentimes, they got kicked the fuck out of places. Uh, for his political poems, Pushkin uh, was banished from St. Petersburg in May 1820 to a remote southern province. They were like, get the fuck out of here if you're going to believe that. He would be moved around many times. He remained bitter about his exile. I get it. Regardless, Pushkin was hailed as the leading Russian poet of the day and as the leader of the romantic, liberty-loving generation of the 1820s. In May 1823, he started work on his central masterpiece, the novel in verse Yevgeny Unjin, of which he continued to work intermittently on until 1831. While at a remote outpost in Moldavia, he devoted much of his time to writing, also plunged into the life of society, engaged in amorous intrigue, hard drinking, gaming, and violence. At Odessa, he fell passionately in love with the wife of his superior, governor general of the province, and he fought several duels there. He was a poet and a fighter. And eventually the count was like, get out of here. He was like, dude, too many duels. Stop chasing my wife. Get out. You can't keep shooting everybody. What are you doing? And the duels these Russian aristocrats fought in did involve guns, just like hot-headed Americans like Andrew Jackson and Doc Holliday were, you know, standing however many paces apart, firing at those who had offended their honor. You've, you've offended thy honor, sir. Uh, well, I guess it'd be my honor. That's weird. You've offended my honor. You have referred to my mother as possibly sexually promiscuous. We must shoot at 20 paces apart at each other now. Uh, and that was happening in Europe too. You know, so nuts. And Pushkin 
was very into dueling. He would challenge over 20 different men to a duel. He would try to kill over 20 dudes because they felt he felt that they had disrespected him in some way. He was very quick to call for a duel. Hey, hey, buddy, I saw you look at my wife slightly longer than is customary for the time. Grab a gun and get outside, you son of a bitch. Uh, he wasn't very good at duels, though. Uh, he's not believed to have killed anyone. Most of the time, the other dude backed out before shots were fired. Uh, sometimes shots were fired, but no one was mortally wounded. And then the duel would be over. It's usually like a one-shot affair for each, each guy shooting. And then when he was 37, he challenged the wrong man to a duel. He thought the man had slept with his wife. Uh, they go fire at each other. Uh, he doesn't hit this guy. This guy hits him in the hip, and then the bullet bounces up into his stomach, and he dies. Before he dies, hot-headed Pushkin was exiled uh, again for a time uh, near his uh, mother's state near uh, Pshoff at the other end of Russia for uh, basically failing to go to church and claiming to be an atheist. So he got exiled again. He's, you know, he got kicked out to one place, later gets kicked out to another place. Uh, he spent two years there. While miserable personally, he was very productive professionally. Alone and isolated, he embarked on a close study of Russian history. He came to know the peasants on the estate and interested himself in their folklore, the tales and songs. During this period, the specifically Russian features of his poetry became more marked and laced with folklore. He wrote of Baba Yaga and other Russian characters. And his writing influenced many of the best-known Russian writers that would follow him, including Leo Tolstoy. All right, one more do before we talk about characters. Uh, British scholar Robert Steele. Steele, born in 1860, is the man responsible for first introducing all the primary old Slavic folklore tales to an English-speaking audience with The Russian Garland, first published in 1916. The Russian Garland is a collection of 17 Russian folk tales. All the characters I'll be talking about going forward can be found in stories contained in this anthology. Like, you know, they're like bigger tales. There isn't a lot of info out there on British Bob Steele. He lived most of his life in London. He received an honorary doctorate from Durham University. He was an early executive member of the International Academy of the History of Science. He had 10 kids. And then sadly, his house and personal library were destroyed in a Nazi air raid on London in 1941. And he died three years later at the age of 84. Uh, he mainly wrote for a strictly academic audience. Yeah, and sadly, uh, most of his writings are lost because of that bombing. He studied the folklore, literature, and art of numerous countries. And uh, he, he's most known to Americans. Luckily, this did not get lost for compiling the first two decades of early 20th century Pudi and Juju comics into one book uh, that included Pudi and Juju issue number one, originally published November 11th, 1900 in Parma, Ohio, written by Jamal Johnson creator of uh, Pootie and Juju in his first ever issue titled Yard Candy, only four panels long, only one page, published in a variety pack, uh, you know, issue full of various comic strip concepts called Rattle My Tattle and Ding Dong I'm a Bing Bong. And Pootie and Juju, uh, crudely drawn, they offered only a glimpse of their later character complexity in this first issue. There was no fun catchphrases like, put in your lunchbox, Shirley, and too little too diddle, Pootie. Uh, lesser known phrases, park it in the shed, zip it, Juju, he sure squawk a lot for someone who ain't never said nothing. Uh, the first line ever spoken uh, by Pootie in this issue number one was, Juju, you seen Gigi Bell? And then the first line ever spoken by uh, Juju was, no, you seen Penny Pooper? Uh, Gigi Bell and Penny Pooper were two pet dogs. They didn't have in later issues because in the next panel, Gigi was eating uh, Penny Peas, uh, peanut butter, out in the yard. And while kids thought it was funny, uh, you know, when Pootie yelled, Gigi, you ain't supposed to keep eating the same old meal. Parents didn't enjoy it. They found it crude and distasteful. When Juju gave Penny Pooper a swat on the bottom with a paper and then yelled, you're, not, you're a dog, Penny Pooper, not Gigi's chocolate candy dispenser. Kids also found it funny. Parents again didn't like it. And then parents really didn't like the fourth and final frame when Pootie held Gigi uh, with her mouth taped shut. Juju held Penny Pooper with her butt taped shut. And Pootie said, 
Smells better in here already. And then Juju said, yeah, but now Gigi and me are hungry. And parents didn't care of this illusion to Juju possibly also eating Penny Pooper's poop. But everyone liked the names, basic characters. So the basic concept, you know, was rethought and uh, moved forward. And if you're confused right now, I'm guessing you're just not real familiar with the, with the back time sub catalog. Uh, Pudi and Juju showed up a lot for about 50 episodes, uh, starting to suck 71. And, and I'm back now. I missed them. Now that we've met a couple people who kept the spirit of Russian folklore alive and prevented tales, uh, you know, not only are uh, told only orally for years from fading into obscurity, fading into history to be lost forever. Let's meet some of the characters they saved other than Baba Yaga. Then we'll go full Yaga for the remainder of this suck. Uh, let's start with a character pretty similar to Baba Yaga, Kikimura. Kikimura is an evil spirit. She appears in two forms, depending on who she marries. Sometimes she appears as a bog hag who's married to a hobgoblin. What's a hobgoblin? Hobgoblins are small, hairy little men, often found within human dwellings who do odd jobs while the family's asleep. They sound creepy as shit. And they're like a good practical joke. Uh, in parts of the UK, Dobby was another term for hobgoblin. So if you're a Harry Potter fan, Dobby, uh, basically a hobgoblin. Definite nod to hobgoblins there. Sometimes he's also referred to as a brownie. Brownies and hobgoblins, very similar. Uh, while a goblin, traditionally uh, all about being grotesque, evil, and malicious, a hobgoblin is more just uh, mischievous. Like, while a hobgoblin might make you think that your kids are dead uh, when really they've just hit them in, in, in an attic, a goblin would just leave your kids' dead bodies out in the middle of the living room floor. So, much better to deal with a hobgoblin than a goblin. They're like diet goblins, like a, like a goblin light, at least in Russian folklore. And when Kikimora is not a, a bog hag married to a hobgoblin, she sometimes appears as a house hag who is the wife of a domovoy, which is a house spirit in Slavic folklore. Uh, the Domovoy watched a, uh, I watched a cool presentation on uh, the Domovoy on YouTube put on by Yekaterina Koti, a University of Texas associate professor of Russian studies. And she talks about how the Domovoy uh, is the oldest surviving creature to make it to the present from ancient Slavic folklore. Apparently Domovoy figurines typically carved out of wood are still sold in gift shops all around Russia. You can find them in uh, many Russian homes, especially out in the rural countrysides of Russia. So according to uh, Yekaterina, other sources I found, uh, Domovoy, uh, was an earmax or earmax earwax. I don't know what earmax would be earwax maker. Uh, they used to be for lack of a better term, like, uh, uh, it was fashionable for men to have a lot of earwax in ancient Russia. The more earwax a man had uh, people's thinking went, the better his health, the more virile he was. He was strong, masculine. And, the, and this man wax of a sort, uh, was made by the Domovoy and they would make it using honey and a man's chest hair. And that's why many Russian men still have very hairy chests and, uh, waxy ears today. Uh, more honey is still consumed in Russia than in the rest of the world combined. For many generations, women wanted nothing to do with a hairless, clean-eared weakling who didn't care for honey. And that's, of course, not true. Uh, the Domovoy had nothing to do with earwax and chest hair. Uh, are, though they are hairy. They, it's even weirder than that. These house spirits, that's what Domovoy roughly translates uh, to. It's a master of the house. Uh, they really are super hairy. Uh, sometimes they're described as having a male humanish face. Sometimes they have the face of almost like, looks like a house cat, it's like this weird little creature and their bodies, uh, very fuzzy and beastly. And, and, and the male creatures, they're always male, can be quite kind. They can help with chores. They can help keep the house clean, but they can also be cruel. If you don't keep your house clean, they can punish you. <laughs> this is, uh, they can pinch you and they can pull your hair. And sometimes if they're real mad at you. They can sit on your chest and choke you in your sleep. Sometimes they come across sounding like a psychotic roommate obsessed with keeping the house spotless. Did you see how dirty the toilet was? That's why you get pinched. That's why I pull your hair. 
And if you don't pick up your dirty laundry before you go to bed tonight, I will sit on your chest and I will choke you the fuck out. Some believe that the Domovoi are a familial personification of the supreme god of the pre-Christian ancient Slavs. Rod uh, is how it's spelled. It's more like uh, Rot is how I hear it said uh, by people who speak the language on YouTube. Rot. Uh, I love that it's just in English, though, just spelled Rod, R-O-D. Right? God Rod. Who's your God? Rod. <laughs> it's like having a guy named Daryl or Larry or something. Larry, who are you praying to? I'm praying to Rod. Now, damn it, let me finish, woman. Thy heavenly Rod, who art in high rod heaven. Please help me find a new tranny for my 67 Camaro that will not slip when I'm shitting from first to second and trying to leave a little more of my tire on the fucking asphalt. Oh, glorious Rod, may you and your heavenly sidekicks, Jerry Buckhorn and Mudflap, rain blessings upon me and my craftsman tools. May you fill my coffers with nitro boost and fuzzy dice. Oh, God, Rod. Anyways, when you move from one home to another, you're supposed to invite the Domovoy, uh, Rod God in the flesh. It's always going to be funny to me uh, to move with you. And you better hope he comes along because if you don't have a little Domovoy hanging around, well, you know what? You're in trouble. Your family is going to suffer. You could lose everything. Many Slavs used to believe that the Domovoy protected the well-being of a family that they were attached to in a variety of ways. Excuse me. They uh, helped protect the children and the pets and livestock associated with the house, constantly looking after them. Uh, you know, they, they fight other Domovoi to protect their families and homes. The, the winner of a Domovoi kind of head-to-head battle would take possession of the household of the vanquished rival. They're believed to share the joys and the sorrows of a family, and they can warn of bad future events. And if they get pissed, because your family doesn't act right, you're a bunch of fucking lazy slobs, you're a bunch of assholes, they could just bounce, and they leave you unprotected. And now back to that Kikimura I was talking about, the evil spirit who appears in two forms, depending on who she marries, right? Kikimura, uh, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, the Kikamora who appears as a bog hag when she's married to a hobgoblin and the house hag when she gets married to a domovoy. A bog hag is basically a nasty-ass witch who often lives in a, I bet you can guess it, yeah, yeah, a bog. Uh, muddy ground, similar to a swamp. A bog hag is a nasty old witch covered in mud who doesn't clip her dirty fingernails ever and eats her own shit. And that's not exactly right. Uh, the bog hag appears in Russian fairy tales as an old, uh, uh, ugly woman dressed in stinky-ass seaweed. So not, not eating her poop, but still pretty gross. Her job was to frighten those who wandered to marshes and also to lure travelers into quicksand and to steal small children. She's a real piece of shit. She, uh, she literally has no redeeming qualities, the bog hag. If she was interviewing for a job and they asked her, uh, okay, um, other than frightening those who wandered to marshes and uh, other than luring travelers into quicksand and stealing small children, uh, do, do you have any other job experience? At that point, she'd probably just like, Egh, just like shrug her shoulders, just maybe fart. Eat one of her own boogers or something. Make giggle. <laughs> she's, she's nasty. And she has uh, other characteristics and uh, other cultures, folklore stories. Now the, now, the house hag, on the other hand, when Kikimura takes this form, she's technically uh, still an evil spirit, but she's, she's like a chill evil spirit. She's like evil light. She's an introverted, uh, shy, nasty-ass evil old woman. And she lives quietly in her house, and she rarely shows herself to people, and she doesn't cause too many problems. And, and, and if you're not careful, you can become a hag. If you drown in a bog, if you die before you get baptized, well, shit, my friend, there's a decent chance you're going to be a hag now. And your only hope is to get married to a domovoy and become a house hag and just keep to yourself, not end up like a nasty-ass bog hag. And if you think all this sounds crazy and confusing and not, you know, extremely well thought out, well, you know what? You're right. People wrote this shit living a long time ago. They didn't even write it. They didn't even know how to write. People told these stories a long time ago because they were, they were a, lot, a lot dumber than, you know, a lot of people now. Uh, also, super random. If you watch The Witcher on Netflix... In the opening scene of the very first episode, season one, episode one, The Witcher, 
Geralt uh, fights and kills this giant, nasty, huge spider-looking thing with a humanish head. And that thing is labeled as a kikimora around the web, and that's not true. It's a common misconception. It's getting nerdy here for a second. Uh, the Witcher actually fights a kikimora, not a kikimora. The kikimora is a made-up giant insectoid, uh, or insectoid monster originally created for the Polish and Czech video game that the Witcher series is based on. And those video games are based on the original book series, The Witcher, written by a Polish author, Andrzej Sapkowski. Yes, The Witcher is a Polish creation. So it turns out, as much as I hate to admit it, that sometimes they do, in fact, create great things. I, I feel like in the same way, similar to how if you, had a, if you had an infinite number of monkeys hitting random keys on typewriters, eventually one of those monkeys would write one of Shakespeare's plays. Well, eventually one of those Polish monkeys wrote The Witcher. Uh... <laughs> And if you again, if you're new to I just said these things because my wife's Polish. If you're like, what the fuck, dude? Uh, but for real, uh, that show does come from Poland and many of its creatures and monsters from Slavic folklore. If the Netflix series continues to follow the books and the video games, Baba Yaga will eventually show up. You know, so uh, toss a coin to your Witcher. Oh, Valley, you've plenty. Oh, Valley, you've plenty. Oh, Toss a coin to your witcher, oh valley of plenty. Huh? Ah, a little witcher song there. And that song reminds me, a uh, quick word from today's uh, first sponsor. Time Suck is brought to you by the A-Hole Air Banjo Academy, Russian Folklore Edition. In just 30 minutes or less, learn how to pluck away hobgoblins, house hags, bog hags, an angry domovoy, and more. Learn how to sexually or sexually serenade the rare, beautiful Baba Yaga with sweet plink and plank riffs over a melody like this. Mm-hmm. Tank don't tank, don't tank, tank, bang, don't don't tank, 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 don't don't tank, tank, don't tank, don't tank, 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 bang, don't tank, tank, don't tank, tank. That's, that's, you know, I didn't even do a full lesson yet. I just, you know, I was able to get that. So that's pretty sweet. Hey, whole Air Banjo Academy, right when you start to think that it's, you know, it's gone away, a few more plucks prove it is here to stay. And I'm, and I'm back. Uh, big thanks to the A-Hole Air Banjo Academy, one of our best fake sponsors. They have probably given us more fake money than any other fake sponsor we've ever fake had. Uh, another another famous Russian folklore character is Ivan the Fool, aka Ivan the Ninny. And I just want to, sorry, I, I'm gonna get back, but I just I just want to keep. <sighs> Why? Why is that so fun for me? Another famous Russian folklore character, Ivan the Fool, aka Ivan the Ninny. Ivan the Fool is the youngest son of a peasant family many years ago. Uh, that's what the Russian equivalent of fool meant, the youngest son. It, it originally did not have a negative intellectual connotation. Uh, Ivan's usually a well-meaning dude who doesn't think before acting, often does dumb things pretty randomly. Most other people don't take him seriously. Uh, at best, they treat him like a fool, and at worst, they just kind of push him around. And despite his simple ways, Ivan often ends up achieving feats that the other heroes can, uh, you know, can't manage. Because despite being simple, he's never portrayed as an actual idiot, and Stalin loved this simple fucker. Because Ivan the Fool made for great propaganda— uh, and one Ivan story whitewashed by communism, Ivan's brothers are easily tempted by money and military power. And yet the unsophisticated Ivan, with his simple way of life, he ends up defeating a treacherous devil none of his brothers are able to destroy. Ivan becomes the ruler of the whole country, despite the lack of a standing army or any currency. 
And all the citizens are welcome at Ivan's table, where workers are fed first. And intellectuals, those without calluses on their hands, well, you get to eat the leftovers, smarty pantses. Uh, it's a dumb story told to make simple people happy in the hopes that they will remain ignorant and be less likely to rebel. Hey, don't read up on any intellectual crap. <laughs> don't go to school. What are you doing? Just keep the crops coming. Seriously, don't, don't read. Don't write. Definitely don't ponder life's mysteries. Just keep farming, you son of a bitch. You're the real winner. Not some, not some fancy professor who tries to tell you that communism isn't working out for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> tries to tell you that what? That, oh, you're, oh, you're disposable. You're a replaceable cog in the machine. He's a fucking liar who's going to eat at the kitty's table. Uh, another Russian folklore character is Vasilisa, the wise. Uh, she appears in one fairy tale story uh, familiar to the West, at least in name, the Frog Princess. Vasilisa uh, shows up in a lot of fairy tales. She normally takes on the role of a beautiful maiden or princess. She's the, Ru she's the Russian Cinderella. Uh, persecuted by a wicked stepmother or villain, she's often uh, rescued by or at least falls in love with a handsome prince or the hero of the story. Uh, in the Russian version of the Frog Princess, there's a woman who is the perfect medieval Russian wife. Uh, clever, beautiful, sensible, resourceful, loyal, thrifty. On top of all that, she's skilled in magic arts, has an army of nannies at her command. She can assist in impossible circumstances. There's just one drawback. drawback. Uh, she's, she's a frog. God dang, just one catch. She's a frog. And she's compelled to appear in that form to the man she's destined to marry, Ivan the Crown Prince. Ivan the Crown Prince is not Ivan the Fool, by the way. A lot of Ivans in old-timey Russia. And when Prince Ivan Zarovich and his two older brothers shoot arrows in different directions in their kingdom, there's some stupid weird thing for the story where they, they have to marry wherever these arrows land, right? Whoever these arrows land near, that's who they have to marry. Or if they hit something, they have to marry. So the two older brothers, they end up marrying uh, wealthy noblemen's daughters while those, those arrows land near those women. Uh, Ivan's arrow lands in, in the actual mouth of the frog uh, without killing it because of uh, magic, I guess. A lot, a lot of things in these old-timey stories are not properly explained, and I feel like ancient bards and old-timey storytellers just explained a lot of uh, plot holes and story inconsistencies away by just saying, well, uh, magic. Yeah. How did the arrow not kill the frog when it stuck it right in the mouth, sir? Uh, 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 magic. Uh, earlier you said her name was Valerie, but now you just said her name was uh, Vasilisa. How come? That's <laughs> magic. You just don't get it. Quiet down. Uh, the three brides-to-be are tasked with tests to determine their skills as cooks and weavers, and the frog far outdoes the two noblemen's daughters, which is fucking impressive. Considering that in frog form, you know, she has no opposable thumbs or elbows to bend, you know, enough to touch her web feet hands together. Uh, impressive that she's able to cook with utensils and pots and pans that all greatly outweigh her and, and completely dwarf her in size. Also interesting that the king would consider letting his son uh, marry an actual frog. Deal's a deal. Good thing you... Didn't land that arrow in a porcupine's mouth. <laughs> that would be an even more problematic wedding night to look for. Uh, not sure how he thought his son would produce heirs. Then another task was given to find out which new wife was the best wife. The final task was attend, uh, to attend a banquet at night where, the Ivan, or where Ivan discovers that the frog is really a princess. Right? He was a good sport this whole time. He didn't even know the frog was a princess. He just thought he was you know, going to be hooking up with a frog. And then he finds out that she's a princess named uh, Vasilisa the Wise. And turns out Vasilisa sheds her frog skin every night and then returns, uh, you know, because of this curse into uh, the form of a frog every day. So kind of sounds like the perfect wife. <laughs> Small, easily ignorable creature during the day. Sexy lady at night. <laughs> JK, gosh dang. Don't tell Lindsay. I know a lot of you are narcs and that you report on me to her. Uh, to remove the curse, Ivan burns her shed frog skin. Uh, this causes uh, Vasilisa to return to her imprisonment at the hands of Koshe, the deathless, who originally cursed her. 
If he, if he just waited three years, the curse would have been lifted. Koshi, the Deathless, shows up in a ver variety of Slavic folklore tales. We'll talk about him in a bit. Generic kind of bad we wizard dude guy. More actually, we'll talk about him right now. More more of a more of a stock character because there isn't a lot to talk about with him. Not a lot of details given by, about his appearance. He's usually just a, a dude who's bad, and he abducts the hero's love interest for no known reason other than he's just he's a naughty guy. Uh, that's it. And with the help of Baba Yaga, Ivan the Prince finds uh, Koshe's soul within a needle, within an egg, within a duck, within a hair, within an iron chest, buried under a green oak tree on the magical island Buyan. And he breaks the needle to kill the immortal sorcerer and free Vasilisa so they can marry and live happily ever after. So it ends with like a weird Russian doll type situation when it, came, when it comes to hiding his soul. Who came up with that? I feel like this story must have been uh, originally uh, put together by, a, by like a team of like a half dozen storytellers. You know, the, the head just wanted to wrap it up. Just, uh, I, I say souls in a needle. No, I wanted an egg. Ah, a duck makes more sense to me. I want a rabbit. Iron chest is what I think. Buried under a tree is the best. All right, that's enough. This fairy tale was due two weeks ago, you fucking idiots. The king grows impatient. We don't have time to keep reworking it. We're going to hide it in a needle with an egg, with a duck, with a hair, with a chest. Buried under a tree. Everyone, everyone's ideas get used. Another popular Slavic folklore character is Nightingale the Robber, a.k.a. Solovoy the Brigand, the Terror of Travelers. This is one of the weirdest ones. This is super weird. Nightingale the Robber is the hero of the classic Russian epic tale, The First Journey of Ilya Murobets, written in various ways. This Nightingale fella lives in a nest, which is in either nine or 12 oak trees. It's a big nest. He's the head of a big bird human family. He has three grown-ass daughters and their, and their husbands, and they all live up with him in his huge nest. And if you tried to rent a nest like his in Manhattan or Santa Monica right now, you'd be spending five grand a month easy. You couldn't buy a nest for under five mil in San Francisco like this. Anyway, this bird guy fella, he usually shows up as a winged avian half-man. He stalks the road from Chernigov to Kiev. No matter whether uh, travelers go on horseback or on foot, the nightingale, he, he always fucks with them. He whistles at them, you guys. He's a, he has the worst whistle ever. He has a death whistle. And, it's, and it, at the very least, it scares the shit out of people. This dude has the most powerful whistle of all time. You can die from hearing it. Uh, it can flatten your whole village. It's way more annoying than any whistle you've heard in your whole life. Even today, uh, a lot of Russians still aren't fans of whistling. A common superstition in Russia is that if you whistle indoors, your money will fly away. Bad financial situations awaiting. It goes back to this weird bird dude. Uh, in the main telling of this story, a warrior named Ilya Muromets survives the whistle even though the nightingale leveled half of the surrounding forest when he made the magical sound. Uh, Ilya then shoots down Nightingale the robber with arrows. Uh, he shoots him in the eye with an arrow and he shoots him in the temple with another arrow. But he still lives because of uh, uh, magic. And then Ilya drags the defeated monster before Vladimir, the prince of Kiev. And Vladimir wishes to hear Nightingale the robber whistle. I don't, I don't know why. He's, just, he wants, he's heard about this whistle. It's super dangerous, but he's like, nah, I kind of want to hear it, which is not smart. Uh, but the creature claims he's too wounded to whistle. You know, he's, he's still kind of dealing with the arrow to the eye and another one to the temple. He's got some shit going on. And Nightingale the robber requests wine to drink so that his wounds will disappear. And then, then he will whistle for the prince. And God, it's got to be nice to be able to drink off two arrows to the head. And then when he whistles, all of Vladimir's palaces are destroyed and most of his people lay dead. It was not a good idea to encourage this guy to whistle. But not Ilya Muromets. Why? Magic. Ilya takes the nightingale into an open field and cuts off his head. Then he's really done whistling. It's very hard to whistle if you don't have a head. Uh, this Ilya dude, he's also an important Russian folklore character. He shows up in a variety of stories. 
I love that a lot of these characters pop up in each other's tales. It reminds me of like the, the Marvel and DC universes. Uh, Ilya is one of the uh, three Bogatirs. Some, some super easy to pronounce Russian names coming up. So this should be a breeze. Uh, the Russian painter, Viktor Vasnetsov, immortalized the legendary hero of Russian folklore, Ilya Muromets, and his companions, Alyosha Popovich, Dobrynya Nikitich, and his painting, The Bogatirs, completed after 19 years of work in 1898. Oh my God, 19 years of work. Regarded as the greatest of Russia's Bogatirs epic knights, Ilya Muromets is a massive central warrior sitting atop his steed poised to protect Russia from any and all danger. Ilya is famed for incredible strength like Samson. He used his strength to single-handedly defeat the entire city of Chernikov from a Tatar invasion, right? He's like one dude against an army. He's like, fuck you guys. Uh, he, he could fell entire forests. Uh, he also, you know, he also killed off that aggressively, you know, whistling son of a bitch, Birdman, Nightingale the Robber. Ilya's companion, Alyosha, known for his wits, Dobrynya, for his courage. Like the three musketeer types here. Alyosha, you know, or Knights of the Round Table kind of thing. Alyosha, the, the youngest of the three, defeats a super tough dragon at one point. With a, This dragon has a weird Achilles heel. This dragon's a Turrigan Zemiovich. Zami, <laughs> I don't know why he has like a, like a dude's name. Why does he have a last name? Who's that dragon? Uh, that, that's Chuck Lee McHenry. Fucking what? That's a dragon's name? Yes. There's a lot of dragons up there. You're going to have to deal with uh, uh, Daryl Brent Hall is another dragon. Huh? Uh, but, he, but he kills this dragon by calling on the heavens to send a black rain that soaks the dragon's paper wings. So then he falls to the ground and can be defeated. That's a, this dragon's ah, main weakness is having paper wings. And then Dobrynya uh, is also a dragon slayer. Uh, also renowned for his skill at chess, uh, music, and archery. And, and in one tale, uh, uh, Dobrynya and the dragon uh, whew, Gornik, okay, a proper dragon with just one name, uh, Dobrynya battles this dragon for three days. And then just when he's about to give up, a heavenly voice commands him to hang in there for just three more hours. You know, and then he'll be able to manage to kill the dragon. Yes, three more hours? That's, that's some fight. Can you imagine some trainer telling his MMA fighter that? I know you're tired, but don't give up. You're going to kick the shit out of John Jones. You just, you just got to wear him down for three more hours. Uh, another cool character is the firebird. The firebird is described as a large bird with a mag- majestic plumage that gro- uh, glows brightly, emitting red, orange, and yellow light like a bonfire. Uh, and uh, the feathers do not cease glowing if removed. One feather can light a large room if not concealed. Man, I'd like to have some of those feathers. We don't have to change light bulbs anymore. Sometimes this bird is enveloped in fire, so that, that would be unfortunate if the feathers were uh, always burning. So that would not make it good to use in the house. The firebird is not to be confused with the phoenix, not a symbol of rebirth, doesn't rise from its own ashes, just, uh, just basically looks super cool and has, you know, light feathers. A typical role of the firebird in Russian fairy tales is to be the object of a difficult quest. The quest is usually initiated by finding a lost tail feather, at which point the hero sets out to find and capture the live bird, sometimes of his own accord, uh, usually at the bidding of a, of a father or king. The firebird is a marvel, high, highly coveted, and the hero, initially charmed by the wonder of the feather, eventually blames the feather for his troubles. Usually the bird is a lure for brave young men who seek fame and fortune. Very often the hero happens upon a firebird's feather, brings it to the, to the czar as a gift, not knowing what ill is now going to befall him. Having been given a feather that shines more brightly than many candles, the czar usually wants the whole bird and sends the hero back to find this bird on some sort of perilous quest. So, you know, if you see a firebird feather, it's best just to leave it be. I think the lesson of a lot of the firebird stories is that sometimes finding something cooler than you ever thought you'd find is the worst thing that can happen to you. 
because it can make you or those around you suddenly yearn for the monster of more. Now we want more. Suddenly what you had isn't good enough and you need extra. You need something you never knew even existed before. You're filled with desire and desire can be dangerous. The fire uh, bird tales to me uh, are kind of like a more money, more problem type lesson, right? Reminds me of hearing stories about people winning the lottery and then their lives are ruined. Ever hear those stories? Yeah, people who are living lives where they maybe a little light on money, but happy overall. Then they hit the lottery and suddenly everybody wants a piece of them. And then even when they give people a piece, if they don't give them a piece as big as they were hoping for, those people are angry with them. And then the lottery winner resents them for being ungrateful about the money that wasn't their money in the first place. And then after giving money, others who weren't even initially hoping to get money for themselves, now they're jealous. Now they want a piece. Now it's a big mess. So now the person who won this wonderful gift now has nearly everyone. They know people they got along with, you know, just fine before winning, upset with them. They feel the most alone they've ever felt. Now it feels like uh, every new friend they're trying to make going forward, though, just wants them for the money. They should have left that feather alone. They should have never bought that cursed ticket in the, in the first place. It feels like that kind of story uh, to me. So maybe some of these old tales have lessons that still hold up. Be careful what you wish for. Maybe you don't need some beautiful bird. Maybe you already have everything you need to be happy. Love folklore. So weird and oftentimes confusing and uh, hard to follow sometimes, but uh, so many universal truths tucked inside so many of these very old stories. Two more little characters now, and then it's Baba Yaga time. Uh, Slavic folklore has spirits for just about everything in nature. Uh, our next character is named a Vadnevoy, a water spirit who is the king of the deep. A version of this character appears in the Witcher universe as well. In the Witcherverse, the uh, Vad Vadnevoy, uh, my God, Vadnevoy. There we go. The Vadnevoy, also known as the fish people or fish-eyed creatures, are an intelligent race living in underwater cities at the bottom of the Great Sea where their civilization is most advanced, as well as the Ponta River and its tributaries, again, in the Witcherverse. So, uh, toss a coin to your Witcher, oh, valley of plenty, oh, valley of plenty, oh, toss a coin to your Witcher, oh, valley of plenty. Pretty damn catchy melody. I enjoy that show, by the way. Just the right amount of cheese for me. Uh, Slavic mythology, Vadim, fuck, I hate this word. Vadi Anoy. I always want to say Vadiovoy. Vadi Anoy, the water spirit, often appears as a naked old man with a frog-like face, greenish beard, long hair, body covered in algae and muck, usually covered in black fish scales. He has webbed paws instead of hands, a fish's tail, eyes that burn like red-hot coals. He's usually riding along his, you know, on the river on a half-sunk log, making loud splashes. He's super creepy and annoying. Why do the splashes have to be so loud? Why can't he just quietly float by so no one has, no one has to look at his nasty ass? Sometimes he has a fishy tail. Sometimes he doesn't. He, he's a shapeshifter, probably some sort of subspecies of lizard Illuminati. He sometimes dwells in all kinds of uh, uh, reservoirs and wells, but you'll most frequently find him sitting alone at the end of the bar at some kind of hole-in-the-wall dive, running up his tab that he hasn't paid off in months, running his mouth, this horrible breath. You can tell the bartender's heard it all before a thousand times. Just sitting down there, and that's why my wife left me and couldn't deal with the web paws. You might think it was the red eyes and the frog face that ran her off, but no, sir. Uh, you know why? Out of the two of us, I, I was the looker, if you can believe that. Uh, she blamed it on the splashing. Why, Vadi Anora, she'd say, why do you have to splash about so loudly? And I'd tell her, have you ever tried to get to work by paddling a half-sunk log upstream? Well, have you? Anyway... How about another drink, Reginald? I'll, I'll square up by Friday, I, I promise. Sorry about the algae in the muck. I'll clean up before I leave. Uh, I'll go off to this next drink. I don't, 
I don't want someone running off with my half sunk log. I forgot to lock it up. <laughs> I got to, I just I thought that was funny because you know it's a half sunk log. Who would who would take it? I'll just I'll just drink quietly by myself. And of course that's nonsense. Uh, he sometimes dwells in all kinds of reservoirs and wells. Uh, usually you'll find him in pools near a watermill. And in old Russian folklore tales, he's considered evil. In more modern fairy tales, more of just a nuisance. Sometimes he tries to prevent the young hero from marrying his beloved. Uh, especially if she turned out to be his daughter. Oh, who'd want to marry that guy's daughter? Uh, one more before Baba, a dragon. Did you know that Puff the Magic Dragon first showed up in Russian folklore? Well, if you do, you need to reassess your confidence in knowing things, because that's not true. Puff first showed up in 1959 when a 19-year-old Cornell University, little little Puff detour, then back to Russia, uh, showed up in 1959 when a 19-year-old Cornell University electrical engineering student, Leonard Lenny Lipton, wrote a poem about Puff the Magic Dragon. A few years later, one of his former roommates back in school, Peter Yarrow, contacted Lenny. He's like, hey man, you, you care? Do you care if I take that old poem? Rework it into a song? And he's like, yeah, no problem. And then he did. And uh, Peter had formed a little band called Peter, Paul, and Mary. And they recorded Puff the Magic Dragon in 1962, released in 1963, made it to number two on the Billboard charts. Then it became an animated TV special in 1978. A little dragon trivia for you. You can never have enough. Now let's talk about Goranik. The one Dobrynya spent an extra three hours fighting. Gornik the dragon has a lot of heads, at least three, up to a dozen. High percentage of this thing's overall weight is comprised of neck. A lot of, a lot of neck weight on this creature. He can appear out of the water, spew flames from his nostrils, occasionally fly on the wings of fire. It says uh, often lives in the mountains, right? Like very traditional dragon. Like a lot of dragons, Gornik loves to kidnap hot women and besiege cities with hotter fire. And I mean, if you're going to be a bad guy, it doesn't sound like a terrible way to go. Right? If you, if, you, if you have to kidnap, you know, kidnapping hot women, probably better than kidnapping, I don't know, it's like stinky old, you know, fucking water creature men or something. And burning a village to the ground with flames shooting out of your mouth. I mean, if you really hated that village, that would have to feel pretty satisfying. Uh, Gordon cannot be bought off or distracted. He's always determined to make a meal of those who disturb his rest or thwart his plans. Once you piss him off, you gotta fight him. It takes a true hero to defeat a dragon like this, like Dobrynya, what's his nuts, uh, that epic folklore night guy. And how exactly did this one night kill such a badass dragon? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, magic. Uh, I wish that worked in real life, right? So you just, ah, magic. You know, just changes everything. Bob was a massive dead. He'd just been fired from his job. His wife was about to leave him and take his kids because he'd been lying to her for years about the true state of their finances. Uh, money lost due mostly to his secret online gambling addiction. And then he also had to explain to her how he suddenly had genital herpes. And then uh, it was all better. It's all fine. Uh, you know, uh, his herpes were gone. His house was paid for and he had a, he got a raise. Uh, his wife loved him more than ever. He got rehired and no one cared about his gambling because he always won. Uh, and how? Well, fucking uh, magic, okay? Uh, so now we have an idea of the world that Baba Yaga's living in. We know who helps, uh, you know, uh, save Slavic folklore from fading into obscurity. We know about some of Baba Yaga's story time companions. Now let's learn a bit about her. Right after a quick sponsor break, please give these a listen. Please use the URL codes uh, I give you guys uh, for sponsors to save money for yourself and also to let these sponsors know that uh, we are where you heard about the deal from. This is where you heard about the deal. It helps us a ton to continue to get sponsors when you do that. Quick break, right back with Baba Yaga. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you suddenly had an extra hour show up in your day every day, what would you do with it? Work out, sleep, read a book, play Fortnite, call your mom, take judo lessons, finally watch all the episodes of Shameless. A lot of us spend a lot of our time wishing we had more time. But why? Time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The bad news is that you're not going to get that 25th hour. 
But what you can probably do is reprioritize where you spend some of your time. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it with your time. This year, my health is more important to me than cranking out another stand-up special as fast as possible. So I canceled a tour, sacrificed that income, and decided to spend a lot of the time I just got back working out more, resting more, relaxing more, and enjoying time with family, friends, and just myself. And I'm so glad I did. I feel better than I have in a long time. And my BetterHelp therapist, Debbie, was very helpful in getting me to make the decision to pull back. Thank you, Debbie. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash TimeSuck today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash TimeSuck. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything is that there's always a catch. So when you hear that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you're probably thinking, what's the catch? Well, there isn't one, really. They cut the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. It's pretty simple. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month and no catch. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts over. And in addition to saving money, like over a 50% price drop from what I was paying before, the network quality, in my experience, is better than it was with my old service provider. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash timesuck. That's mintmobile.com slash timesuck. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash timesuck. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Thanks to Rocket Money, I canceled a membership to a gym I used to go to where I continued to pay a monthly membership for a couple of years after I stopped going. I didn't even recognize the charge. Rocket Money found it though, and it was canceled. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lower bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash timesuck. That's rocketmoney.com slash timesuck. Rocketmoney.com slash timesuck. I still love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, but I'd stopped eating them almost entirely a while back because the bread on top of the sugar from the jelly made me so sleepy. All those carbs caused me to want to take a nap after eating them. Enter Hero Bread. Hero Bread takes the fear of carbs out of bread, but still leaves you with that delicious bread taste. Hero Bread has zero to one gram of net carbs, zero grams of sugar, and it's high in fiber. It's also delicious and flavorful. The soft, fluffy experience you love when enjoying a savory breakfast burrito or mouth-watering cheeseburger. There is something for every craving, including sliced bread loaves, buns, and tortillas. And there are monthly small batch drops of indulgent favorites, like the two grams of net carbs Hero Croissant or the one gram of net carbs Hero Cheddar Biscuit. I had a loaf of Hero Classic White Bread delivered last week. 
Soft, fluffy, and delicious. Five grams of protein per slice, and it's high in fiber. And the best part? Hero Bread doesn't taste healthy. It tastes like bread. It's great. Don't give up on being a breadhead. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use code TIMESUCK at checkout. That's TIMESUCK at H-E-R-O dot C-O. Now let's get to Baba Yagan. Uh, who was this nut? In the oldest Baba Yaga stories, her powers resemble those of a goddess more than a witch. And she and her magic hut act as uh, guardians, uh, gateways to the underworld. Uh, to, to many, she's much uh, deeper, more intricate character than the witches in the mists of Western Europe. She's the figure who inspires c- contradictory feelings of fear, respect, and hope. She's not always just an evil weirdo living in a home with chicken feet. Uh, there are m- even many pagan circles in Eastern Europe and around the world that still believe that Baba Yaga was indeed a goddess and still hold her in high regard. To many, especially in Romania, uh, she is considered the witch's goddess. One such modern believer wrote this short description of her current influence. Baba Yaga's themes are the harvest, rest, providence, thankfulness, and cycles. Her symbols are corn sheaves, wreaths of wheat, corn, rye, and wildflowers. This Lithuanian-Russian goddess of regeneration, Baba Yaga, is typically represented in the last sheaf of corn in today's festivities, Obzinki, a secular festival celebrating the changing of the seasons. As both young and old, she reawakens in us an awareness of time's ever-moving wheel, the seasons, and the significance of both our goddess-centered magic, uh, both to our goddess-centered magic. Follow with the tradition and make or buy a wreath or bundle of corn, shucks, or other harvest items. Keep this in your home to inspire Baba Yaga's providence and prosperity for everyone who lives there. For breakfast, consume a multi-grain cereal, rye bagels, or wheat toast. Keep a few pieces of dried grains or toasted breads with you. This way, you will internalize Baba Yaga's timelines for coping with your day more effectively and efficiently. You'll carry her providence with you no matter what the circumstances. Feast on newly harvested foods, thanking Baba, thanking Baba Yaga as the maker of your meal. Make sure you put away one piece of corn that will not be consumed today, however. Dry it and hang it up to ensure a good harvest for the next year, for your garden, pocketbook, or heart. Finally, decorate your home or office with a handful of wildflowers. Even dandelions qualify. Baba Yaga's energy will follow them and you to where it is most needed. Huh. She sounds nice here, but uh, kind of boring. Why do I have to eat uh, corn or cereal or toast? I wonder, if, I wonder if I could have donuts. Donuts are bread? Tasty bread? Uh, you know? Am I paying, uh, you know, tribute to uh, Baba Yaga when I have a, a maple bar? That's what I'm going to tell Lindsay. Listen, I'm not just eating like shit again. I'm uh, Listen, I'm fucking paying tribute to Baba Yaga. Come on. Uh, well, modern Baba Yaga uh, sounds like uh, here, and this uh, depiction sounds like some sweet, crunchy, hippie, old-timey uh, Baba Yaga, was usually more of a monster. Most of the stories, she's a monster. Baba Yaga is technically, is technically uh, as technical as you can get when it comes to ancient folklore, a forest-dwelling goddess of death and regeneration, but more commonly known as a uh, monstrous witch or ogress. Ogress, that's a word you don't hear enough these days. An ogress is a monster usually depicted as a large, hideous, man-like being that eats ordinary humans, especially infants and children. Nasty character. Baba Yaga was an ogress. OG Baba Yaga is in many ways the archetype of the woodland witch. She does all the things that modern folks would assume a witch would do. She's portrayed as a broom-flying, hook-nosed, having, cat-owning, bone-grinding, child-murdering old lady. That is the uh, you know primary depiction of Baba Yaga. Like if she popped up on Tinder... You'd be out of your mind to swipe right on Baba Yaga. Like most prominent myths and legends, Baba Yaga appears numerous times throughout history. There are several other characters that have a lot of similarities. 
you know, uh, to uh, uh, this murderous witch. There's no definitive Q source equivalent, no agreed upon origin story, no Baba Yaga series issue one we can point to with confidence due to her story being told orally in various villages by various Slavic folk and various subcultures for centuries before ever being written down. Baba Yaga had, uh, you know, many names originally. She called Baba Jaga in Poland, uh, Baba Roga in Bosnia, Baba Petra in Slovenia, there's a Baba in, uh, you know, other parts of uh, Czechoslovakia. The name Baba has been translated to mean old woman, hag, or grandmother. Depending on which Slavic language is being referenced, the Russian term Baba, generally considered offensive among Slavs, uh, serves to des- designate a kind of vindictive woman who lives complaining, grossly disheveled, a lonely lady, never married, never been loved. Not a nice thing to call somebody. Probably not going to endear you to someone if you call them a Baba in Russia. Uh, Yaga or Laga has no agreed upon meaning among scholars. The word means horror and shudder in Serbian and Croatian, anger in Slovenian, witch in Old Czech, wicked wood nymph in modern Czech, witch and fury in Polish, serpent or snake in Sanskrit randomly. A lot of different possible meanings and they're all bad. Uh, I didn't didn't notice nice lady snuck in there or fun grandma. No auntie good time. Uh, No one is certain when exactly Baba Yaga made her debut in Slavic folklore. The character began appearing in print in 1755, but already a very well-known character by then. Most likely she came into existence like many, many hundreds of years ago, possibly thousands of years ago. Some etymologists and historians have linked her to ancient fire cults in Central Asia, early animist or animal worshiping traditions in Siberia, you know, like well before Christianity, well before any modern religion. In an age of seers and shamans, Baba Yaga could very well be the world's original witch, potentially showing up before the ancient witches referenced in the Old Testament of the Bible. You know, maybe not just an OG witch, possibly the OG witch. Now let's get into the nitty gritty of how she looked in these old stories. It's my favorite part. Most of the legends, uh, it's clear that every single part of her body is hideous and mutated. Right, she's, a, she's a very creepy, bad, bad person. Baba Yaga is a very, very skinny old woman, borderline, you know, emaciated, extremely cold and piercing eyes. She described having a long hook-shaped nose, a lot of warts on her face, pointed chin, long, dirty gray hair that she never washes, hasn't washed for years, runs down her shoulders and shriveled back. Her spine is so bent that she walks down, giving the impression that her nose will actually touch the ground. She's usually really like totally bent over. Uh, but don't think that because she's hunched over, she's weak and frail. Uh-uh. That's, that's what she wants you to think. It's one of her tricks. She's hunched over in part so she can hide her sinister smile. She has a mouth composed of rows of extremely sharp, you know, just jagged teeth made out of literal iron. Her body, complete with very bony legs, is so thin that the patched rags she wears hang loose and billow in the breeze. But again, she's not weak. She seems extremely fragile, but she's actually very fast and strong, able to, you know, quickly catch and easily subdue a strong adult man with just her hands. Uh, She's also known for her long reach, for being able to remove her hands actually from her body. She can take her hands off, have her hands go and do do her bidding. And I know this might be, you know, a little TMI here, but holy shit am I rock hard right now. The first two times I read all this, I spontaneously ejaculated. Is that weird? Fuck, it seems weird. She's just, God, she's sexy. Uh, I, I just, hot damn, I like a crooked, emaciated looking lady with, with, with uh, bony legs, a, a mouth full of iron, sharp teeth, dirty hair, a, a wart face, and detachable man hands. My dream woman. Move over, Lucifina. There's a new sex pot in town, Baba Yaga. Uh, no, in several stories, early stories, Baba Yaga disguises her true appearance because she can shapeshift as well. She can appear as an actual sexy lady you know, she's like a Navajo skinwalker, but instead of turning into animals, you know, she turns into a lady who isn't very ugly. Ugly. 
Uh, she can appear as a young one with black hair, very pale skin, who walks barefoot on the snow, protected only by a cloak of fox fur. She's all, you know, perky and vivacious. And, you know, she's a, this form is chosen when, the, when this witch wishes to attract a man by lust. You know, that, that, I mean, that's pretty hot. You know, some raven-haired porcelain skin beauty wearing nothing but a cloak of fox fur. Uh, she can also appear as a middle-aged woman in peasant clothes who takes the comforting look of a kind mother. When using this disguise, her house exudes an inviting odor of freshly prepared food, bread, and broth, whatever it takes to lure brother in. What dude or lesbian has zero interest in either a sexy naked lady wearing just fox fur or a nice mom making some fresh bread, homemade chicken noodle soup, maybe a hearty casserole, Remember the nice mom? That brings in all kinds, you know, of uh, people. It brings in the kids, straight ladies, everyone else too. Everyone loves a nice mom. Everyone loves, mother, why couldn't you just make casseroles and soup? Maybe then my samples will remain calm. Uh, in some tales, she also appears as a trio instead of as just one woman. In some Russian fairy tales, she appears as three sister Baba Yagas, much like the Greek Gorgons, those three sisters who had hair made out of living venomous snakes. While appearing as a trio, these uh, Baba Yagas are usually less sinister, often helpful. However, they don't seem to be young hot ladies. They seem more uh, traditional uh, like witch-like forms. So pros and cons to seeing three of them. In the Witcher universe, yes, again, at least in the video games, this is how they show up. Toss a coin to your witcher, oh valley of plenty, oh valley of plenty, you're welcome for sticking that melody in your head for the rest of today. Uh, yeah. Now let's talk about her uh, unusual and horrific diet preferences. Baba Yaga's uh, eating habits make her particularly frightening to children and parents. The Baba Yaga food pyramid consists mostly of human children. Tiny bit of vegetables, a little, little bit of chicken broth, a decent amount of uh, grown-up men and, and woman burger, but mostly kid steak. You know, it's like everything, like the bottom three layers of the pyramid would just be like, you know, kid meat, kid meat, kid meat. Uh, any child caught by the witch runs the risk of becoming her dinner. Some stories depict her as uh, having a large stove for cooking kids, similar to, uh, you know, the, the Hansel and, and Gretel. Bad lady. Otherwise, Baba Yaga is known to use her pestle and mortar to grind up children's bones after she killed them. Uh, she does sometimes consume adults, but the young are her, her preference. She's probably cranky when she eats an adult. Probably just, you know, how'd that steak, Baba Yaga? Yeah, it's, it's too tough. It's not tender enough. It's, it's an old steak. I don't care for it. I like it to kid steaks. And if she uh, comes across your path and she does want to eat you, she probably will. She's tough to fight off. Few things are able to hurt Baba Yaga. She's immune to guns. She's immune to most physical attacks. Cold iron is able to injure and perhaps even kill her. That's her like main weaknesses, you know, a vulnerability to cold iron. So if you're traipsed into the Russian forest, you might, just to play it safe, want to strap an iron sword across your back. In addition to being able to use it to kill Baba Yaga, everyone else will probably just leave you alone. I mean, not many people are going to fuck with a guy walking through the woods alone with an iron sword on his back. I don't think. I wouldn't. I would, I would just, you know, file that guy under, stay out of his way and let him pass. Uh, spells can be uh, also useful when fighting her, although she does know how to neutralize or nullify most spells. So if you're going to go wizard on Baba Yaga, you better bring your A game. On the rare occasions when she uh, leaves the safety of her cabin, she uses a kind of a flying wood pestle, which she uses to grind up bones to also propel her through the air. Sometimes she also has a broom uh, when she feels more like being a, a traditional witch, when, when she wants to ride on a classic witch mobile. When flying, uh, she generally holds the pestle in her right hand, and if, if the broom shows up, she usually holds the broom in her left hand. The pestle will work like a rudder, steering her, and the broom 
is wiping away all of her trails so no one can find her. That's how she you know, wipes away her air trail. No, no chemtrails with Baba Yaga flying around through the air. And that, maybe that's why witches fly in brooms. I've I seriously always wondered where the broom detail came from. It's always seemed like a dumb way to get around to me, but now, okay, all right, you're wiping away your trail. You're cleaning away your tracks. That's pretty awesome. It might not be true. No one knows for sure. Uh, but after doing quite a bit of Googling, reading a variety of articles on credible websites, uh, I read a lot because at first I was like, get the fuck out of there. There's no way that's true. Uh, there may be a different and uh, unusual non-Baba Yaga related uh, way with, which uh, where the broomstick origin story comes from. It's uh, much weirder than just sweeping away your trail. Many historians think that the historical depiction of witches riding along on broomsticks has its origins in hallucinogenic plant pharmacology. Not kidding. This isn't one of my weird lies. Hallucinogenic chemicals called tropane alkaloids are made by a number of plants, including nightshade, henbane, mandrake, and jimson weed. During the Middle Ages, parts of these plants were used to make brews, ointments, or witches' salves for witchcraft, sorcery, other nefarious activities, and just for like, you know, healing herbalists. Uh, at some point in history, many centuries ago, some extremely curious and I guess maybe horny person found out that these hallucinogenic compounds could be absorbed through sweat glands in the armpit or more effectively via the internal mucous membranes of the rectum or vaginal area. And in the 15th century, records of one witch trial, it is written, uh, in, in the uh, records of one witch trial, it is written, uh, but the vulgar believe and the witches confess that on certain days or nights, they anoint a staff and ride on it to the appointed place or anoint themselves under the arms and in other hairy places. And by other hairy places, uh, we assume he means vagina and uh, butt vagina. Uh, there's even an old woodcut of a naked witch straddling a broomstick in a uh, sexually suggestive manner. There are references, other references to women using broom handles to insert the witch's brew into their vaginas. Uh, so maybe... Or maybe all that shit was written by just horny medieval dudes who just who just wanted to believe that, right? Like horny celibate priests just thinking about these witches. Yes, sir, these devilish women, these supple, fit, perky, devilish women. Oh, they sin in so many ways, sir. They pervert everything, even household cleaning items like a broom, a harmless broom. They don't use it for cleaning. No, sir, they, they, they stick it inside themselves. Yes, they lube it up with their witch's brew and they put it in their, they put it, they put it in their pussy, sire. In it, back out, and then they push it back in and out and in and, and out. And if, if you excuse me, sire, I must, I must use the bathroom for a few minutes. My trousers have become quite tight. Uh, as for flying on these broomsticks, quite a few uh, scholars seem to think flying basically symbolized tripping on hallucinogens. So maybe that is actually a possible explanation that's out there. I'm not sold. I just wanted to include it in case you've heard of it before. Also, the Broomstick Association could have uh, began with cleaning your tracks and then over time also taken on, you know, this additional kind of more perverse association. However, the association began, and for whatever reason, uh, Baba Yaga is associated with brooms in some stories and pestles very much, almost all the time. Heavy tools with a rounded end used for crushing and grinding substances such as spices or drugs, typically in a mortar. In Slavic cultures in years past, nothing can be a sign of impending misfortune uh, you know, uh, the knocking down uh, or grinding a pestle on the floor. Like, nothing's worse. As it was said that such a thing could attract Baba Yaga's rage. Don't fuck around with your pestles, right? Have some decent pestle etiquette. In the same way a broom used to sweep a person's two feet at the same time uh, would act as kind of a curse. Marking the individual to find, uh, you know, the terrible witch sooner or later. So if you didn't like somebody, give me a little, give me a little broom tap, two of their feet. 
Uh, now let's talk about where Baba lives. She lives out in the woods. She's an outdoorsy kind of gal. She's into nature. In legends, Baba Yaga lives in the depths of a wild forest that is almost inaccessible to mortals. Or in most legends, the vegetation in Baba's special corner of the forest grows in an unusual, unnatural, horrible way. The canopy of trees prevents sunlight from entering. The trunks are taken with poisonous fungi. The bushes are full of thorns. Weeds and stinging nettles grow wild everywhere. Even the wild animals, predators, avoid this evil part of the forest. You won't hear any birds, the buzz of insects, only an ominous silence. And all this is awesome when it comes to providing a sweet, super villain kind of vibe, but it's terrible if she ever wants to sell her chicken house, right? Not very good curb appeal. Not good location, remote, not near schools or shopping. Uh, with the state of her lawn, uh, I have to imagine that she, uh, you know, if she doesn't own it outright, Baba Yaga, she's probably upside down in her mortgage. Uh, one of the strangest parts of uh, Baba Yaga's story is the construction of her house. It's a simple wood hut, entirely unremarkable, except for the fact that it sits on tall, fully animated chicken legs. Mm -hmm. They can move it around. This makes the house mobile, allowing the witch to easily change locations and house positions. And now, you know what? I'm rethinking the resale value. Houses with working chicken legs are, to my knowledge, extremely rare. So if you can find the right buyer, you can make a, you can make a fortune off a shitty, you know, chicken leg hut. Uh, absolutely for sure. And, oh, oh, hey, wait, uh, here's some music. Oh, oh, boy. Sounds like uh, Chicken Joe's coming by. Even though we're not talking about uh, prostitution. Oh, all right. What's Chicken Joe have to say? Bye, bye, playboy. Bye, bye. Chicken Joe is more than just a pimp, more than a flamboyant hustler walking with a limp. Chicken Joe is a businessman with a mind for money and money on his mind. Chicken Joe would like to shack up with Baba Yaga and her force to sadness. Become a Batman to her Robin, a Gonzaga to her March Madness. Turn that chicken house into a destination of ill repute. Come for the chicken legs, stay for the coop. Chicken Joe in a chicken home? A chicken home is free to roam? Ah, uh, that's slicker than grease and Chicken Joe's chicken comb. That's the place for Chicken Joe to be staying. You dig? You feel me? You hear what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That was Chicken Joe speak for, uh, he'd like to broker some type of partnership with Bobby Yaga because he feels that the chicken-related marketing potential could make for a very lucrative prostitution, uh, prostitution-related business opportunity. Been a long time since we heard from Chicken Joe here in the suck. Uh, good to know he's okay. And, and apparently still pimping. I, I thought he'd given that up. But, uh, he's, he's, you know, it's tough to nail down some of these characters. They do what they want. Uh, another old character, new sucker. Uh, back to Bobby Yaga's hut. The hut itself. Rustic construction. Typical peasant home. With slats of wood engendered uh, 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 one over the other. A brick chimney always spitting smoke uh, through the dirty windows. You can see a yellowish light of a lamp. The tiles on top look uh, old and need of repair. Everything's old and abandoned looking. Around the house, there's a subtle indication of danger that lies in the dwelling. A low fence made of bone surrounds the entire estate. Human skulls serving as lookouts on top of the uh, macabre wall. At night, empty orbits glow with an ominous glow. So maybe not subtle. Maybe not a subtle indication that danger lies inside. Someone has a fence made out of human bones, including weird fucking skull lamps uh, way out in the woods. Uh, I think you should think twice about going inside. Uh, the entrance gate is made up of arched ribs. Hanging on poles erected with long yellowish bones. The lock is in the mouth of a skull and its pearly teeth. The bell is a rattle with phalanxes hanging on a rope of hair. That when shaken emits a tinkling noise. You know what? Never go in that house. Never, ever go in a house with a fence like this. Uh, for some reason, the entrance door of the cabin is always facing the opposite side of the road. Anyone who wishes to enter needs to clap or call the owner's attention inside. In fact, Baba Yaga is always aware when there are visitors on her porch, she decides if she will entertain them. If Baba Yaga wants you to come inside her house, the entire cabin shudders, rising 
you know, up, up from the dirt floor on its enormous chicken legs. And these chicken legs just rotate it around, position it so that the door is now in front of whoever plans to enter. For sure want to run now. If the skull and, and the bone lamps and the rib entrance, you know, left, you're like, oh, I don't know. It doesn't seem that bad on the fence. But at, at that point, and then the house gets up on chicken legs, you fucking get out of there. And for some reason, the visitor behaves disrespectfully at her door. The witch simply commands the hut to trample the trespasser, right? Crushing every bone of their body. My God, maybe that's how she got her fence. She can use her chicken house to smash you. Most of the time, this doesn't happen. And Baba Yaga just grants the visitor the right to enter her cabin shack or her little chicken place. Unlike many mythical witches and evil creatures, Baba Yaga does not go out of her way to hunt for prey. It's like a spider. She's got a little web. She sits back and waits for somebody to come in, you know, to her. And the legends say this happens quite often. Uh, not sure why so many people are wandering into the worst part of the woods back then, but whatever. Uh, when someone enters her home, she will ask them, you know, uh, if someone sent them there, if they come with their own free will. The answer to this seemingly innocent question can make or break a person's future. She's able to disguise her lair through a very real mystical enchantment, making the sinister appearance give way to a, a comfortable and inviting home. So I guess, you know, that makes more sense why you maybe want to go inside. She can make it look nice if she wants to. Visitors who enter the hut willingly or otherwise deceived generally are destined to end up in her oven. Uh, these uh, unhappy ones can be attacked by surprise, simply shoved into the oven, knocked out unconscious by being given some kind of potion or, or being enchanted into sleep when she seduces them in her witch bed, when she takes the form of that hot young thing. Maybe she does some kinky stuff with the broom handle, you know, covered in witch's brew, just to, you know, get them excited. Hey, Lucifina. Uh, some legends mention that she has servants or minions who protect her hut. One is a large and ferocious hunting dog, Bojangles. Did you used to hang out with Bobby Yaga? Uh, there can be a black cat with, an ex with extremely evil green eyes, which is love cats. Another minion can be a kind of tree fed with blood that grows in front of the house whose branches extend like tentacles fed with blood. That's how you know something's evil, I guess, when it's fed with blood. Uh, and there's other creatures that pop up in other stories. These creatures are created magically, therefore endowed with intelligence, obeying her murderous orders, usually. Sometimes we'll find out they do disobey her. In some stories, they uh, carry out tasks like sending messages, following victims, protecting the house in the absence of the witch. Uh, there's way more to Baba Yaga than I expected. She's a complex monster. Baba Yaga also has some possessed hands cut off from corpses that are buried at the entrance to the witch's house that serve as guardians against invaders, like a, like a weird security force. When someone tries to make their way into the Yaga's home, someone uninvited, these hands can pop out of the ground and grab their feet and ankles. All this is starting to sound like a Bruce Campbell movie. Sounds a lot like uh, Ash Williams, you know, should be fighting these type of creatures in Army of Darkness. This is my boomstick. Uh, Baba Yaga, obviously very powerful. In some stories, she's able to rule even the natural elements, like an like a X-Man type, you know, character. She can summon three horsemen, the white horseman of the first light of dawn, the red horseman who represents the rising sun, the black horseman of nightfall who appears around midnight. Baba Yaga calls these elements her faithful servants. Some stories say Baba Yaga is the devil's own grandmother, which means at some point somebody had sex with her, you know, as we learned in the Greek mythology. Well, she probably took the form of the nice lady. Yeah, Greek was probably, probably Zeus. I'm guessing Zeus. Zeus and Baba Yaga made the devil, right? That dude would fuck anything. He, she wouldn't even have to change forms for him. Um, some Slavic tales suggest Baba, Yaga, Baga, Baba Yaga's lair in the woods was much more than merely a home where she murdered children. In fact, it served as her guard post where she guarded a portal between the lands of the living and the dead. And, uh, and that's where she ate kids, right? She was, uh, I guess, you know, maybe that's why she did. Keeping an eye on such a portal, probably exhausting. Probably really works up an appetite. It's believed that without Baba Yaga standing guard, the gates between both worlds would be easily breached, right? The dead would show up in the land of the living. 
Perhaps the old witch's occasional human meals were sacrifices to keep the dead at bay, or maybe she just loved kid meat. In some tales, Baba Yaga uh, seems to only eat the wicked. She can be a, a harsh judge of one's character, but if you pass, you know, sometimes she lets you go in stories. When she perceives someone as having a noble character, she may let them live. In tales like this, Baba Yaga has a weakness for allowing people to redeem themselves. She'll, she'll set them about tasks, and if they complete them, she'll let them free. Uh, you know, uh, other stories, potential victims who couldn't perform every task uh, can earn their freedom just by figuring out how to escape. We'll tell some of these stories here in a bit. Uh, despite all of her powers, it is possible to beat her. Kindness and being pure of heart seems to give someone their best odds of beating Baba Yaga. Also, this complex kind of confusing lady sometimes even helps heroes from time to time, especially if they've suffered injustices or persecution. It's hard to nail down Baba Yaga. She's moody. Sometimes she helps you. Sometimes she eats your kids. In the legends where she's helpful, she usually offers some talisman, amulet, or miraculous spell to the hero to protect them on their quest. Now that we know uh, a lot of the Baba Yaga basics, let's look into uh, two folklore stories she actually appears in. We will start off with a bigger one. We will start off with uh, Vasilisa the Beautiful, the most famous of all the Baba Yaga tales. We met Vasilisa, sometimes Vasilisa the Wise, earlier when she'd been turned into a frog. So we'll just, we'll just summarize this one. And, uh, oh yeah, so we're actually three. So I'll summarize this one. And then I got two full Baba Yaga tales for you after this. In this story, Vasilisa is a Cinderella type character with a magical doll. Her mother died, her father remarried a horrible woman with equally unkind daughters. When Vasilisa's father goes away for a trip, the new stepmother sells their house. Oh man, she's naughty. Moves her and the three girls to a cottage in the woods, giving the daughters impossible tasks to complete by candlelight. It is when Vasilisa ventures out of the house at the demands of her stepsisters to find more light that she encounters Baba Yaga. The witch goddess then presents numerous difficult chores to Vasilisa in exchange for a fire to take back to her household. With the aid of the doll, Vasilisa completes all the tasks, is given a fire and a skull lantern. Upon returning home, the magic fire incinerates her stepmother and shitty stepsisters and fucking burns them alive. I'll teach them not to be dicks. Inevitably, Vasilisa's story ends on a happy note. Uh, she gets married to the Tsar of Russia. So Baba, ya Baba Yaga acts as both an obstacle for Vasilisa as well as her savior in this tale. Without the magic lantern Baba Yaga, Yaga gives her, Vasilisa would have never been free of her cruel stepfamily. However, the way in which Baba Yaga frees her is, is pretty violent, you know, revealing her to be a dangerous woman. She's not a Disney-style fairy godmother. You know, she has a stepmom and stepsisters burned alive. Okay, now let's read the first of two famous Baba Yaga stories in full. A big one, little one. First one's called Baba Yaga and the Girl with a Kind Heart. Once upon a time, an old man, a widower, lived alone in a hut with his daughter, Natasha. Very merry, the two of them were together. And they used to smile at each other, uh, sorry, and they used to smile at each other over a table piled with bread and jam and play peekaboo. First this side of the samovar and then that. Everything went well until the old man took it into his head to marry again. And uh, a samovar, by the way, is, a, is like a Russian teapot of sorts if you're as confused as I was when you heard that word. So the little girl gained a stepmother. After that evening, after that, everything changed. No more bread and jam on the table, no more plain peekaboo around the samovar as the girl sat with her father at tea. It was even worse than that because she was never allowed to sit at tea at all anymore. The stepmother said that little girls shouldn't have tea, much less eat bread with jam. She would throw the girl a crust of bread and tell her to get out of the hut and go find some place to eat it. Then the stepmother would sit with her husband and tell him everything that went wrong and it uh, was the girl's fault. And the, and the old man believed his new wife. So more stepmom slandering. Poor stepmoms, man. They're always basically just uh, continually getting slandered in folklore. Always wicked. 
Always evil. I can't think of a single. And then the awesome stepmom showed up and made everything better. Uh, kudos to awesome stepmoms out there in the world, like my wife, Lindsay, man. Not all wicked. Man, they got shit on a lot in these old stories. So N Natasha now is a shitty stepmom and life with dad is terrible. Uh, back to the story. Therefore, poor Natasha would go by herself into the shed in the yard, wet the dry crust with her tears and eat it all by herself. Then she would hear the stepmother yelling at her to come in and wash up the tea things, tidy the house and brush the floor and clean everybody's muddy boots. One day, the stepmother decided she could not bear the sight of Natasha one minute longer. But how could she rid of her? How could, how could she get rid of her for good? Then she remembered her sister, the terrible witch Baba Yaga, the bony-legged one who lived in the forest, and a wicked plan began to form in her head. All right, well, of course, she's an evil stepmom. She's Baba Yaga's sister. The very next morning, the old man went off to pay a visit to some friends of his in the next village. As soon as the old man was out of sight, the wicked stepmother called for Natasha. You are to go today to my sister, your dear little aunt, who lives in the forest, said she, and ask her for a needle and thread to mend a shirt. But here is a needle and thread, said Natasha, trembling, for she knew that her aunt was Baba Yaga, the witch, and that any child who came near her was never seen again. Hold your tongue, snapped the stepmother, and she gnashed her teeth, which made a noise like clattering tongs. Didn't I tell you that you are to go to your dear little aunt in the forest to ask for a needle and thread to mend a shirt? Well, well then, said Natasha, trembling, how shall I find her? She had heard that Baba Yaga chased her victims through the air in a giant mortar and pestle, and that she had iron teeth with which she ate children. The stepmother took a hold of the little girl's nose and pinched it. This is your nose, she said. Can you feel it? Yes, whispered the poor girl. You must go along the road into the forest until you come to a fallen tree, said the stepmother. Then you must turn to your left and follow your nose and you will find your auntie. Now off with you, lazy one. She shoved a kerchief in the girl's hand into which she had packed a few morsels of stale bread and cheese and some scraps of meat. Okay, so she's not, listen, she's not all bad. Maybe the nose thing was a bit much. Maybe sending her to her death is a bit much, but she did give this kid some scraps of meat. I mean, you know, better than no meat. Natasha looked back. There stood the stepmother at the door with her arms crossed, glaring at her. She could do nothing but to go straight on. She walked along the road to the forest till she came to the fallen tree. Then she turned to the left. Her nose was still hurting where the stepmother had pinched where her stepmother had pinched it, so she knew she had to go on straight ahead. Finally, she came to the hut of Baba Yaga, the bony-legged one, the witch. Around the hut was a high fence. When she pushed the gates open, they squeaked miserably, as if it hurt them to move. Natasha noticed a rusty oil can on the ground. How lucky, she said, noticing that there was some oil left in the can. And she, poured, and she poured the remaining drops of oil into the hinges of the gates. Inside the gates was Baba Yaga's hut. It wasn't like any other hut she'd ever seen, for it stood on giant hen's legs and walked about the yard. Yeah, that would definitely stand out. Yeah. Ah, there's something different about this house. Oh, what is it? I think it was the chicken legs I was walking around on. As Natasha approached, the house turned around to face her, and it seemed that its front windows were eyes and its front door mouth. A servant of Baba Yaga's was standing in the yard. She was crying bitterly because of the task Baba Yaga had set her to do and was wiping her eyes on her petticoat. How lucky, said Natasha, that I have a handkerchief. She untied her kerchief, shook it clean, and carefully put the morsels of food in her pockets. She gave the handkerchief to Baba Yaga's servant, who wiped her eyes on it and smiled through her tears. By the hut was a huge dog, very thin, gnawing on an old bone. How lucky, said the little girl, that I have some bread and meat. Reaching into her pocket for her scraps of meat and bread, Natasha said to the dog, I'm afraid it's rather stale, but it's better than nothing, I'm sure. And the dog gobbled it up at once and licked his lips. Natasha reached the door to the hut, trembling. She tapped on the door. Come in, squeaked the wicked voice of Baba Yaga. 
The little girl stepped in. There sat Baba Yaga, the bony-legged one, the witch, sitting, weaving at a loom. In a corner of the hut was a thin black cat watching a mouse hole. Good day to you, auntie, said Natasha, trying not to sound afraid. Good day to you, niece, said Baba Yaga. My stepmother has sent me to ask you for a needle and thread to mend a shirt. Has she now? Smiled Baba Yaga, flashing her iron teeth, for she knew how much her sister hated her stepdaughter. You sit down here at the loom and go on with my weaving while I go and fetch you the needle and thread. The little girl sat down at the loom and began to weave. Baba Yaga whispered to her servant, Listen to me. Make the bath very hot and scrub my niece. Scrub her clean. I'll make a dainty meal of her, I will. Oh, man, I thought Baba Yaga was about to reward her for being nice to the dog. Thought she, thought she was nice to good characters. She just wants to eat her. Uh, the servant came in for the jug to gather the bath water. Natasha said, I beg you, please be not too quick in making the fire. And please carry the water for the bath in a sieve with holes so that the water will run through. The servant said nothing. But indeed, she took a very long time about getting the bath ready. Baba Yaga came to the window and said in her sweetest voice, Are you weaving, little niece? Are you weaving, my pretty? I am weaving, auntie, said Natasha. When Baba Yaga went away from the window, the little girl spoke to the thin black cat who was watching the mouse hole. What are you doing? Watching for a mouse, said the thin black cat. I haven't had dinner in three days. How lucky, said Natasha, that I have some cheese left. And she gave her cheese to the thin black cat who gobbled it up. Said the cat, little girl, do you want to get out of here? Oh, catkin dear, said Natasha, how I want to get out of here, for I fear that Baba Yaga will try to eat me with her iron teeth. That is exactly what she intends to do, said the cat, but I know how to help you. How great is the name Catkin, by the way? It's a solid cat named Catkin. Just then Baba Yaga came to the window. Are you weaving, little niece? She asked. Are you weaving, my pretty? I am weaving, auntie, said Natasha, working away while the loom went clickety-clack, clickety-clack. Baba Yaga went out again, probably to grab some vegetables. That would uh, go well with Natasha now. Uh, another great name, by the way. I love the name Natasha. One of my favorite woman, woman's names. Uh, the thin black cat whispered to Natasha, There is a comb on the stool, and there is a towel brought for your bath. You must take them both and run for it while Baba Yaga is still in the bathhouse. Baba Yaga will chase you. When she does, you must throw the towel behind you, and it will turn into a big, wide river. It will take you a little time to get over that. When she gets over the river, you must throw the comb behind you. The comb will sprout up into such a forest that she will never get through it at all. I feel like you could just, you know, maybe throw the comb first, but okay, whatever. Uh, but she'll hear the loom stop, said Natasha, and she'll know I've gone. Don't worry, I'll take care of that, said the thin black cat. The cat took Natasha's place at the loom. Look at Catkin, all, all clickety-clacking now. What a fancy-ass little helpy helperton cat here she is. Clickety-clack, clickety-clack, the loom never stopped for a moment. Natasha looked to see that Baba Yaga was still in the bathhouse, and then she jumped out of the hut. The big dog leapt to tear her to pieces. Just as he was going to spring on her, he saw who she was. Why, this is the little girl who gave me the bread and meat, said the dog. A good journey to you, little girl. And he lay down with his head between his paws. She petted his head and scratched his ears. When she came to the gates, they opened quietly, quietly, without making any noise at all because of the oil she had poured into their hinges before. Then how she did run. Meanwhile, the thin black cat sat at the loom, clickety-clack, clickety-clack, sang the loom. You never saw such a tangle of yarn as the tangle made by that thin black cat. Presently, Baba Yaga came to the window. Are you weaving, my little niece? She asked, are you weaving my pretty? I'm weaving, auntie, said the thin black cat, tangling and tangling the yarn while the loom went clickety-clack, clickety-clack. That's not the voice of my little dinner, said Baba Yaga, and she jumped into the hut, gnashing her iron teeth. There at the loom was no little girl, but only the thin black cat tangling and tangling the threads. Gah, said Baba Yaga, and she jumped at the cat. Why didn't you scratch the little girl's eyes out? The cat curled up its tail and arched its back, 
In all the years that I have served you, you have given me only water and made me hunt for my dinner. That girl gave me real cheese. Nice cat. Can you tell that bitch what's up? Baba Yaga was enraged. She grabbed the cat and shook her, turning to the servant girl and gripping her by the collar. She croaked, why did you take so long to prepare the bath? Ah, trembled the servant. In all the years that I've served you, you have never so much as given me even a rag. But that girl gave me a pretty kerchief. Everyone turning on the Yaga. Baba Yaga cursed her and dashed out into the yard. Seeing the gates wide open, she shrieked, gates, why didn't you squeak when she opened you? Ah, said the gates. In all the years that we've served you, you never so much as sprinkled a drop of oil on us, and we could hardly stand the sound of our own creaking. I get it. Fucking Mesophonia. I don't fucking like a creak either. But the girl oiled us, and we can now swing back and forth without a sound. Baba Yaga slammed the gates closed. Spinning around, she pointed her long finger at the dog. You, she hollered. Why didn't you tear her to pieces when she ran out of the house? Ah, said the dog. In all the years that I've served you, you never threw me anything but old bone crust. But that girl gave me real meat and bread. Baba Yaga rushed about the yard, cursing and hitting them all, while screaming at the top of her voice. I think I'm getting one of the lessons in this tale. Man, don't treat those around you like shit if you expect loyalty from them later. What goes around comes around kind of lesson. Then Baba jumped into a giant mortar. Beating the mortar with a giant pestle to make it go faster, she flew into the air, quickly closing in on the fleeing Natasha. Okay, no broom in this story. Flying through the air in that bowl of hers. Okay, for there on the ground far ahead, she soon spied the girl running through the trees, stumbling, fearfully looking over her shoulder. You'll never escape me. Baba Yaga laughed a terrible laugh. <laughs> and steered her flying mortar downward toward the girl. Natasha was running faster than she'd ever run before. Soon she could hear Baba Yaga's mortar bumping on the ground behind her. Desperately, she remembered the thin black cat's words and threw the towel behind her on the ground. The towel grew bigger and bigger and wetter and wetter. And soon a deep, broad river stood between the little girl and Baba Yaga. Natasha turned and ran on. Oh, how she ran. When Baba Yaga reached the edge of the river, she screamed louder than ever, threw her pestle on the ground. She knew she couldn't fly over an enchanted river. Okay, that's good. I was, I was wondering why she didn't just fly over it. I'm like, come on. But she couldn't. You know why? Magic. In a rage, she flew back on her hut on her hen's legs. Then she gathered all her cows and drove them to the river. Drink, drink, she screamed at them. And the cows drank up all the river to the last drop. Then Baba Yaga hopped into her giant mortar and flew over the dry bed of the river to pursue her prey. Natasha had run on quite a distance ahead, and in fact, she thought she might at last be free of the terrible Baba Yaga. But her heart froze in terror when she saw the dark figure in the sky speeding toward her again. This is the end for me, she despaired. Then she suddenly remembered what the cat had said about the comb. How could she forget the fucking comb? Come on, that's the most important thing to remember. To not die is throw the comb down. Come on, come on, Natasha. Natasha threw the comb behind her. The comb grew bigger and bigger. Its teeth sprouted up into a thick forest, so thick that not even Baba Yaga could force her way through it. And Baba Yaga, the witch, the bony-legged one, gnashing her teeth and screaming with rage and disappointment, finally turned around and drove away back to her little hut on hen's legs. The tired, tired girl finally arrived back home. She was afraid to go inside and see her mean stepmother, so instead she waited outside in the shed. When she saw her father pass by, she ran out to him. Where have you been? cried her father. And why is your face so red? The stepmother turned yellow when she saw the girl and her eyes glowed and her teeth ground together until they broke. Oof, that's some intense grinding. She must have had some brittle ass ancient pre-toothpaste time teeth. But Natasha was not afraid and she went to her father and climbed on his knee and told him everything just as it had happened. When the old man learned that the stepmother had sent his daughter to be eaten by Baba Yaga the witch, he was so angry that he drove her out of the hut and never let her return. Yeah, there you go. Good job, dad. Sending your kid off to be eaten, that's definitely uh, unforgivable. That's, that's definitely grounds for divorce. From then on, he took care of his daughter himself and never again let a stranger come between them. Over a table piled high with bread and jam, 
father and daughter, would again play peekaboo back and forth from behind the samovar, and the two of them lived happily ever after. Okay, I like that one. That was an entertaining old Russian tale with a happy ending. Didn't expect that. I thought Natasha was as uh, good as gone for a moment there. Thank thank God for old Katkin. Praise be to Katkin. And Baba Yaga, man, real piece of work. Definitely not some sweet, crunchy hippie helping with the harvest in that tale. Uh Uh-uh, not some nature goddess. Nope, just a a straight-up monstrous kid-eater. Now let's tell one final, commonly told Baba Yaga story. It's pretty short. It's called Baba Yaga and the Wicked Geese. Once upon a time, there lived a man and his wife. They had a daughter and a little son. One day, the mother said to her daughter, Darling, your father and I are going to work. Take care of your brother. Keep an eye on him and don't leave the house. Be a good girl and we will bring you a present. Oh, okay. All right. Just like the last story starts, starts pretty positive. After parents left the house, the girl forgot her mother's instructions and left her little brother in the garden near the house so she could play with her friends. While the girl was enjoying herself, Baba Yaga's wicked geese swooped down and stole her little brother out of the garden. The poor girl returned home only to discover that her brother was gone. She wept bitterly, calling for her baby brother. You fucking blew it, kid. You had one job. You're worse than Natasha, almost forgetting about the comb. As she was crying, she saw the wicked geese in the sky. The girl figured out that they might have been the ones who had kidnapped her brother. She suddenly remembered that people always were concerned about Baba Yaga's geese frequently kidnapping the little children to bring them to Baba Yaga for her to eat them. Jesus Christ, kid. Now you remember this? You live in an area where evil geese are frequently taking kids to Baba Yaga to literally eat. And you just fuck around, go play with your friends, leave your baby brother in the yard. (sighs) Kids. She ran after them, desperately trying to catch up with them. When she saw the stove, the girl asked if it had seen uh, the Baba Yaga's geese and asked her to show her in what direction they had flown. But the stove answered, eat my rye patty and I will show you the direction. And the girl replied, I won't eat your rye patties. I don't even eat wheat patties at home. And since the girl was so rude, the stove did not show, show her the direction. Well, that was an unexpected twist. A, right? That a talking stove would show up out of nowhere. And B, that she would be a dick to a talking stove and not eat a little fucking bread, you know, whatever, to get a clue for finding baby boy. The girl kept on running. And as soon as she saw an apple tree, she asked it if it had seen in what direction the geese had flown. The apple tree answered, eat my wild forest apple and I will show you. And the girl responded rudely, I won't eat your wild apple. I don't even eat good apples from my father's garden. The apple tree didn't answer her, didn't show her the direction. You know what? I want to fucking punch this kid in the face. I hope Bobby Alga eats her. I really do. The girl ran and ran, and at last she saw a milk river with Kissel, which is kind of a, a sweet starch jelly. Uh, Kissel Banks. The girl asked, Milk River, Kissel Banks, could you tell me in what direction Baba Yaga's geese have flown carrying my poor little brother? And the Milk River replied, eat my milk, Kissel, and I will show you the direction. And the girl responded, I don't even eat cream at home. Cook her up, Bobby, get the fucking oven going. She's doing a shit job finding baby boy, being a dick to every magic thing she talks to trying to help her. The girl then ran in forests and fields, and in the evening she saw a little hut that stood on chicken legs and turned herself ar- and, and it turned itself around. Her little baby brother sat on the bench and played with silver apples. In the hut, old Baba Yaga was spinning her yarn, and the girl said, Baba Yaga, let me rest and warm myself. Take the spindle and spin, Baba Yaga replied. After Baba Yaga had left the room, the girl saw a little gray mouse. Give me some grain, and I will give you a good piece of advice, said the little mouse. And the girl, finally not being a dick, gave it some grain. Shocked. I'm surprised she didn't say, uh, I don't even give the mice at my home grain, and they're cooler mice than you. 
The mouse continued, Baba Yaga has gone to take a stove, or to stoke a stove. She is going to wash you. Then she is intending to roast you in the stove and eat you. Take your little brother and run. I will spin instead of you. Kind of similar to the other story. The girl was very frightened. Naturally, followed the mouse's advice. She took her little brother and ran. Uh, and what's with the weird washing, by the way? In both stories, right? Bobby wants to wash these kids before she kills them. I, I, which I feel like you can do afterwards, but whatever. Baba Yaga then asked if the girl spun yarn, and the mouse answered that she did. When Baba Yaga returned and found that the girl and her little brother disappeared, she ordered Baba Yaga's geese fly and catch that sister and her brother. Man, she's constantly being betrayed by her minions. The girl and her little brother reached the Milk River and noticed that Baba Yaga's geese, who I guess were loyal, uh, were in pursuit of them. Dear Milk River, please hide us, the girl entreated. Eat my kissel. And then the children ate kissel, and the Milk River hid them under its kissel banks. Oh, oh, so now you eat the kissel. She's lucky old Milk River didn't tell her to, to eat its ass, you know? Baba Yaga's geese didn't find them, and the children went on running, but soon they noticed that Baba Yaga's geese spotted them again and were in hot pursuit. Now they saw the apple tree, and the girl begged, Dear apple tree, please hide us. Eat my wild forest apples, said the tree. And the children ate the apples and thanked the apple tree. The apple tree covered them with its branches, and Baba Yaga's geese didn't notice them. She's getting a lot of second chances in this tale. I'm not sure what the lesson is here, right? Just go ahead and be dicks to whoever you want, because later, if you need their help, yeah, they'll fucking forgive you. The girl and her brother continued running at this time. When they saw Baba Yaga's geese uh, again, the children nearly got caught. Fortunately, at the right moment, the children saw the stove and cried, Stove, please hide us. And the stove said, Eat a dick, you uppity bitch. And then the geese caught both kids, took them back to, uh, back to Baba's chicken hut, scrubbed them down like Mama Ridgeway would, and ate them both. The end. Uh, no. Uh, the stove said, eat my rye patty. And the children ate the patties and hid themselves inside the stove. And Baba Yaga's geese could not catch the sister and her brother, and they flew away. The children thanked the stove and ran home. At that exact moment, the children returned home, and their parents came home from work. They praised their daughter for taking good care of their brother. They never found out what happened to them because the girl vowed not to worry her parents with the events that happened that day. She also learned to listen to her parents, not to be naughty and feisty, and to have respect for others. And that's the tale of Baba Yaga and the Wicked Geese. All right. Okay, so I guess she learned something moving forward. I don't know, though. Sounds like she probably got a present, too, even though she's, you know, kind of shitty for most of that story. All right. I guess, I guess she did find baby bro. Uh, and that's Baba Yaga, a random Russian folklore legend that honestly, I was worried about making a fun episode out of when the spaces were voted it in, but I had a lot of fun today and I hope you did too. Uh, the legend of Baba Yaga is still very much alive in many Slavic nations today, still inspiring modern artists. Baba Yaga, favorite subject of Russian films and cartoons, the animated film Bartok the Magnificent features Baba Yaga as a main character. The 1939 film uh, Vasilisa the Beautiful by Alexander Ru features Baba Yaga. That was the first large-budget feature in the Soviet Union to use fantasy elements as opposed to a realistic style long favored politically. In this movie, Baba is portrayed as a cruel exploiter of her animal servants, so, uh, you know, portrayed accurately. A lot of Russian music has been inspired by Baba Yaga as well. A 19th-century Russian composer, uh, Modest uh, Mozerskis, uh, <laughs> 1874 piano suite, Pictures at an Exhibition's Ninth Movement is called The Hut on Fowl's Lakes inspired by a painting of Baba Yaga's hut. Additionally, British prog rockers Emerson Lake and Palmer's live 1972 album called Pictures at an Ex Exhibition, uh, based on the uh, Mozerski's piece, contains two songs about Baba Yaga, The Hut of Baba Yaga and The Curse of Baba Yaga. It's mostly long-form experimental rock, but there are a few lyrics. Doubles faces, dark defense, talk too loud, but talk no sense. Yeah, I see those smiling eyes, butter us up with smiling lies. Talk to creatures, raise the dead. Fate you know, sure got fed. 
train depart from House of Stone, hour of horses pick the boat. I, you know, kind of nonsensical, but whatever. Uh, it's okay. You know, it's no, it's no witcher. Toss a coin to your witcher. Oh, valley of plenty. Oh, valley of plenty. Oh, toss a coin to your witcher. Oh, valley of plenty. Just when you thought it was over. You've been McDonald in the past. Now you've been witchered. <laughs> that was the last one. Other musicians have sung arranged compositions about Baba Yaga over the years. She continues to show up in the written page. She's the primary antagonist in the fantasy novel Enchantment by Orson Scott Card. She appears in the short story Joseph and Kaza by Nobel Prize winning writer Isaac Bashiva Singer, uh, regularly featured in stories in Jack and Jill, popular children's magazine. She's made her way into the screen in the 2001 Japanese animated film Spirited Away, the witch spa keeper Yubaba, based on legends of Baba Yaga. Canoe uh, Reeves' character in the John Wick franchise is even referred to in a scene as Baba Yaga in the sense of being a Russian boogeyman. Baba Yaga is a character in the Dark Horse comic Hellboy. In Hellboy, she's in league with fellow Russian fairy tale characters, right? Koshe the Deathless, Vasilisa the Beautiful, the great Slavic thunder god Perun, uh, as well as a uh, real historical figure, previous topic on Time Suck, Grigory Rasputin. Baba Yaga appears in at least two Vertigo comic book series, uh, Sandman, Issue the Hunt, and has been a recurring character in Fables, and I forgot that I saw her there. I totally remember her now. Because I've read almost every issue of Fables, except for maybe like the last uh, two kind of, you know, uh, little books, uh, you know, collections of uh, issues. And Fables is an amazing series if you ever get the chance. If you love comics, love folklore, you've probably already read it. If you haven't, you're in for a treat. So many issues. So well-written. So smart. Uh, she can be found in the Marvel Universe as well. Uh, she makes appearances in Dungeons and Dragons, you know, the role-playing game. She also appears in a number of video games, including the popular Rise of the Tomb Raider, Baba Yaga, Temple of the Witch. Uh, so partially because of the kind of confusing, elusive nature of her character, Baba Yaga remains an intriguing, mythical individual. She eats kids, has a moving house that sits on magical chicken legs. Not a great lady, but she's interesting. Uh, she adds a level of mystery and uncertainty to each of the tales she takes part in. She can eat the kids, pretty high stakes, keeps the reader engaged. Just like with the Brothers Grimm tales, we're reminded in Baba Yaga's stories that we meet sacks love a dark story and have for a long time. Doesn't get much darker than eating kids burning the Steph family alive. Our love affair with horrific content like serial killers and uh, tragic disappearances uh, is nothing new. And now it is time for today's top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, Baba Yaga is the archetype for the standard evil forest witch. Head back far enough with, uh, you know, tales of broom riding, cat owning, kid eating, evil, scary looking old ladies, and you're probably gonna make it to Baba Yaga. Number two, Baba Yaga is not just a character of ancient Russian folklore. She's a character of ancient Slavic folklore, which is where Russian folklore comes from. So you can find many different depictions of this witch all across Eastern Europe. Number three, her house has giant chicken legs, a skeleton fence, a rib cage arch gate, and a bunch of severed hands working security detail. Early Slavic peoples were not lacking in the imagination department. I'd love to see someone do a Baba Yaga themed Halloween house display. Number four, how about those witch broomstick uh, relationship origin possibilities? From sweeping away your tracks as you fly through the air to uh, using a broom handle to stick some witch's brew in one of your bat caves. Hadn't heard either of those possibilities before this week. Uh, number five, new info. Let's look at five other famous fictional witches real quick. There's the Macbeth witches, the Wayward Sisters, Hect uh, Hecate, and her two unnamed sisters. I'm probably saying that name wrong. I, I, I was confident when I put it in my notes. Now I'm like, wait, what? 
It's H-E-C-A-T-E. Now, these are the witches, the three that say, by the pricking of our thumbs, something wicked this way comes. These three witches are in some of the most famous literary witch, or some of the most famous literary witches, known for giving Shakespeare's Macbeth his prophecies. Like the Greek fates, this trio speaks in mysterious phrases. They can see the future of men who encounter them. Several lines these three witches have in the Scottish play are now famously associated with, with, with witchcraft, uh, such as double, double, toil and trouble. There's uh, Melisandre on Game of Thrones, another now famous witch. Hail Lucifina. I think uh, Mel- uh, Melisandre is pretty hot. Uh, the Red Priestess, famously known for her love of burning people at the stake, guardian of the Lord of Light. She's the Baba Yaga of the Game of Thrones, uh, the attractive version. And I won't say any more uh, than that because I don't want to spoil it for those who haven't seen that show. Uh, number three, Circe, not from Game of Thrones. Circe, another famous witch. Circe, the Greek goddess of sorcery. She could change humans into wolves or pigs simply by taking drugs or reciting incantations. Said to be the daughter of Helios, the sun god. Main character in Homer's The Odyssey. Uh, she was one of the main characters. Uh, there's the witch from the Brothers Grimm's, uh, Brother Grimm, God damn it, Brothers Grimm fairy tale Hansel and Gretel. Uh, and the Brothers Grimm story when Hansel and Gretel's family experience a famine, the evil stepmother, always the evil stepmother, convinces her nice but misguided and frankly pretty dumb husband to abandon his children in the woods. After a series of twists and turns, the tykes come across a cottage built out of gingerbread and candy. They greedily begin to eat it until a witch opens the door and lures them inside with the promise of more sweets. Turns out this witch is the very worst kind, the Baba Yaga type who, who eats kids. Uh, she's eventually burned to death in the oven by Gretel. And then there's perhaps the most famous witch in the U.S. culture, at least, in Western culture, I'd probably say, the Wicked Witch of the West from The Wizard of Oz. Flying monkeys, I'll get you, my pretty. All that shit. Green skin, long wart-covered nose, big hat and broom. Basically the look that all kids on Halloween have copied for nearly a century now. That movie came out in 1939, based on a book published in 1900. About as iconic as it gets when it comes to witches. And while she may not have uh, wanted to eat Dorothy, she definitely wanted her to dead. Uh, wanted her dead. So very Bobby Yaga. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Bobby Yaga sucked. Another folklore chapter written in the book of Time Suck. Hail Nimrod. Thank you to the Time Suck team. Queen of the Suck, Lindsay Cummins. High Priest of the Suck, Harmony Vela Camp. Reverend Dr. Paisley. The Bit Elixir app design crew. Logan and Kate at Spicy Club running badmagicmerch.com and the script keeper, Zach Flannery. Thank you uh, to the all-seeing eyes of the cult helping Liz Hernandez run the Cult of the Curious Facebook group. Thank you, Liz. Uh, thanks to uh, Beefsteak for being such a welcoming ambassador over on the Time Suck Discord channel. You can access via the Time Suck app. Uh, next week on Time Suck, we go old-timey true crime. John Dillinger, Prohibition and Great Depression-era American gangster, leader of the so-called terror gang. The FBI was partially formed in response to this one man's to this one man's criminal activities. Born in Indianapolis, he grew up to raise hell. He robbed over 20 banks at gunpoint, escaped from jail twice. After Al Capone's capture and incarceration, Dillinger became America's public enemy number one. A lot of old-timey gangster talk coming for you bubs and bear cats and bimbos next week. Uh, time sucker updates right now, see? Let's get to those time sucker updates. Updates. Get your time sucker updates. Uh, first up, we got a funny message coming in from a terrific time sucker, John D, regarding last week's fake sponsor, <laughs> uh, Pussyblower. Uh, John writes, Hail Master Sucker, writing you from the home of the Lemurians, crystal clanking, rock stacking, seasonal, new age, drum beating, hippie folk, Mount Shasta. Been a fan before you started the podcast. After you mentioned it at the Tacoma Comedy Club, I've been hooked. 
I work in fire and during uh, or sometimes long drives to wildfires throughout our beautiful nation. Your voice and stories bless our ear holes with pure time sucker knowledge. Thank you. I had to write in due to the baby CPR on the Nation of Yahweh episode. Uh, hilarious. I also wanted to put more vagina inflation information. <laughs> nice. In time suckers brains. Per Urban Dictionary, there is another name for this called the beaver call. <laughs> I've never heard of this. Definition. The act of taking a deep breath and blowing it into the vagina during oral sex, then release the sound created mimics <laughs> mimics the queef, but trumps it in comparison. Used in a sentence, you might see like this. Adrian woke up the entire house performing the beaver call on his old lady last night. <laughs> Hope this makes you and the time suckers laugh. Uh, long live the suck, John. It does, because I'm eternally a junior high kid and uh, part of my brain. Thank you, John. Silly shit. Thanks for filling my head and now many others with such ridiculousness. Hail Nimrod, you wonderful weirdo. Say hi to those Lemurians for me. Uh, top shelf meets that Kelly alerts us to a possible future Yahweh bin Yahweh uh, type person with this next message I found very interesting. Kelly writes, Hi, Dan. I just finished listening to your most recent time suck about the Temple of Love. And before that, I kind of just binged on a ton of cults. Now more than ever, I'm nearly positive that I know someone who is on his way to starting a cult maybe already has. I knew this guy almost 10 years ago. He was pretty normal at first. Super nice guy. I met him rock climbing. He was Christian. Seemed very accepting of everyone and everyone's religions. We would smoke pot and rock climb. I know. Sounds like a really stupid combo and for sure is, but I was young and reckless. He was never shy about sharing his ideals. They didn't seem too aggressive at the time, but then he changed. I moved to Boston. Apparently, so did he to become a reverend. His Facebook post got crazier and crazier. He began claiming to be a gifted healer from God and that technology was the devil trying to control us. Now suddenly all, I love these posting that on Facebook. Get off technology. Now suddenly all other beliefs were sinful. Even a lot of Christian-based religions were just devil worship to him. Most of the comments under his Facebook post were like, dude, you're nuts. But some people thought he was a godsend. Then he would eventually have gatherings with people to deliver sermons. And this was towards the end of my contact with him. He saw that I was also in Boston and he sent me a message. I was explaining my own beliefs while he was trying to push his on me. And then he goes, all caps, I now know without a doubt in my mind that God has sent you to me so I can save your soul. We were meant to reconnect. Now I'm kind of like, yikes. He goes on to tell me that, we had, that he had a dream where God told him that Nicki Minaj was actually the devil. All female pop and hip hop stars were apparently evil. They were trying to tempt him. <laughs> it's not like he's just horny for Nicki Minaj. And it was his job to save people from these evil tempresses. He said that he touched his dad and it cured his dad's cancer. He invited me to one of his gatherings. Let me tell you, I avoided all climbing gyms where he lived because I didn't want to run into this guy. He started out as kind of a hippie, boy band looking kid, transformed into some kind of wackadoodle, she fighting, you know, she devil fighting Jesus wizard. He, at, he is, as far as I know, now off social media. Don't know what he's up to now, but I'm fairly certain he will become a future suck subject someday from one of them lesbian she-devils, Kelly. Well, Kelly, I'm glad you wrote in because your uh, old friend and I wanted to talk to you, okay? Uh, Katy Perry is the devil now, not Nicki Minaj, Kelly. And if you don't see that, well, I guess your eyes are glued shut, heathen. Wake up. Uh, no, thanks for sending that in. Yeah, these cult leaders uh, are real people. And, and usually start off, you know, as, as uh, you know, somewhat normal in their younger years, you know, humble beginnings. Weird to think about that. Think about how the, you know, the person you used to rock climb with might turn out to be a cult leader we're talking about here someday. And uh, maybe he took a break from social media because, you know, uh, he realized that it was kind of hypocritical to talk about how evil technology is uh, on Facebook all the time. 
Uh, maybe he's living in a compound now. Maybe he's going to, you know, he's going to be the next uh, Yahweh bin uh, rock climber type person. Thank you for that message. Very sweet shout out now coming in from sweet sucker Alexis Nex. Great name. Alexis writes, hey, Time Suck Crew, this is Alexis Nex from Gardenville, New, uh, Nevada. Excuse me, Gardnerville, Nevada. I'm writing in about the most amazing husband and father who just happens to be turning 40 on April 18th. I met my husband, Phil, when I was 16 and he was 17 and we have been together ever since. He moved with me to Las Vegas when I was in nursing school, helped support me mentally while I got my degree. I was a super crazy nursing student. There were several hysterical crying fits about school. When I found out I was pregnant with our first child, he, he packed up our things, moved us back to Gardnerville so I could be close to my parents. Three years ago, when I found out I had a chronic illness, he taught himself to cook and took over all the housework, to, uh, took me to all my doctor's appointments. He still yells at me when I try to do too much, which is often. About a year ago, we found out that our youngest has the same chronic illness and has been supportive and understanding of what he's going through. He sets a great example for our daughter of how a man should treat his wife and children. He shows our son how to be supportive and strong uh, husband and father. We are both space lizards, love to watch Scared to Death together every week. Your podcast really do bring couples together. I don't know where I would be without this strong, loving, and supportive man in my life. He deserves the very best birthday gift. Happy birthday to my best friend, Phil. Hail Nimrod, Alexis next. That is so sweet, Alexis. Thanks for listening to the shows. And thanks, thanks more for just sharing a little glimpse into your beautiful marriage. I love the best friend detail. I know it's early, but happy 40th, Phil, you fucking champion. You young man. Don't believe the hype. 40 isn't that bad. My grandpa Ward said that a lot of being old is in people's heads. And he's turning 88 this year. And he's still kicking some ass. So I'm going to believe him. Uh, Hail Nimrod, both you two. I ho hope treatment progresses for whatever you and your young son are dealing with, Alexis. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Kick-ass LDS meets that Kyle Dunchy now sending in an interesting message regarding uh, last week's Nation of Yahweh Suck. Kyle writes, what's up, Dan, or whoever reads this? <laughs> I just listened to the last episode. Got to tell you that while serving an LDS mission in Portland, I knocked on the door of a devout Hebrew Israelite. We had a very interesting conversation sharing our beliefs. It ended when he continued to tell us that we were less than him because uh, I was white and my companion was Venezuelan. I thought this guy was just a racist one-off. Didn't realize it was an actual belief system. Thanks for clearing up that encounter I had years ago. Love the suck. Thanks. Awesome, Kyle. Yeah, man, a lot of different racist ideologies out there. Too many people just want to believe that they were born with a genetic leg up on the rest of us, and usually they're fucking losers. <laughs> right? It's like, it's rarely like the uh, valedictorian that's like, and I'm, I became class valedictorian because I'm white or because I'm black or whatever. It's usually, you know, the kid who fucking dropped out two years before been like, I'm better than everyone. Are you? Uh, funny message coming in from courageous Christian sucker, Danita Johnson now. Danita writes, good afternoon, master sucker. I believe this falls slightly under Cummins law. Uh, even if it doesn't, it's hilarious. I'm a Christian currently in discipleship school as are my roommates. Attempting to spread the suck as one does, I asked my roommate if she would like to listen with me. <laughs> Ballsy. I chose the church of Satan because why not? Three seconds into it, our home begins to shake. We had a 5.9, uh, you know, earthquake. I laughed way too hard. Uh, we did not listen to the episode together, LOL. I'm also here because uh, if you could give a shout out to my boyfriend, Quinn, Def and Boss, Spacers, who got me into your comedy, that would be great. Uh, he was one of the first 100 Space Lizards and a fan of your comedy since age 11. He turns 21 on May 22nd. Young man. He's truly amazing. The best meat sack I've ever met. I had no clue people like him even existed before meeting him. Side note. He too has misophonia and I apparently I have a tendency to chew like it's my last meal and someone's trying to steal it from me. 
<laughs> we got to meet you at the last show in Sacramento. We had an amazing time laughing our asses off. Thanks for all you do and keep on sucking. Well, thanks you, Danita. You're too sweet. And, and you know what? Fucking calm down when you chew, right? No one's going to take your plate, right? Just, you know, just eat, eat it a little more quietly. Uh, no, you're a brave Christian trying to spread the suck by starting off with the uh, Church of Satan suck. <laughs> After the earthquake, I doubt your friend is ever going to give it a chance now, but thanks for trying. Happy upcoming birthday, Quinn. Thanks for listening uh, so long. Hail Nimrod to you. And you know what? Next time you're eating with Donita, just put some music on in the background. You know, it's right there on your phone, put on some Pandora. You know, just a little white noise can cancel out Donita's aggressive, angry chewing. And then you won't feel like throwing her plate across the room. A very brief message coming in now from South Florida. South Florida funny sucker, David Cox, who writes, the Miami suburb is pronounced Hialeah, but who gives a shit? South Florida fucking sucks. <laughs> Hello from South Florida. Dude, that cracked me up. I love that you sent that in. Uh, I've had good times in South Florida. Best Cuban sandwiches I've eaten in the States. A lot of Lucifina types as well. And one more message. Truth seeker Fritz Russell's found a wackadoodle in the wild. And he, <laughs> Oh my God. Here's his message. Greetings, Master Suck. I come bearing fun news. I have met my first ever wackadoodle here in my little Texas city. There aren't a lot of crazies. I have never met an anti-vaxxer, a David Icke fan, or anyone of the sort. So when my coworker randomly asked me one day if I was awake, I took it pretty literally and said something along the lines of, I guess I am. I mean, I suppose this could be a dream. Man, I love this already, Fritz. When someone asks you if you're awake with a straight face, oh, shit's going to get interesting. And then Fritz writes, he then began to exposit, uh, or expose me uh, to the secrets of the world. Uh, about how, oh, you know what? I tried to change that. I think you wrote it correctly. I'm just, I, I'm not familiar with that vocabulary. He began to exposit on me. Very nice. Uh, the secrets of the world about how we're constantly being controlled and surveyed. One day he claimed to have taken a picture of a spaceship that had forgotten to cloak itself. He claims plenty of these spaceships around earth and are constantly surveying us. He then showed me a picture of said ship. Imagine a cloud that is vaguely stingray shaped. That's exactly what he showed me. I love it. You got a gem of a co-worker. You hit the fucking co-work jackpot. You're blessed, Fritz. Oh, please keep getting more stories from this person. And then Fritz writes, another day he claimed to have taken a video of two sons and like S-U-N, not like kids. On, on one side of the sky was the setting sun and on the other end was the, uh, he thought there were some sunbeams of another different sun. Now, I don't know how to delicately explain to this guy how refracting of light works. So I just let it be. I didn't mind humoring him for a while, but after he tried to convince me that the government is swelling a node in your brain to control you and eating dark chocolate and drinking purified water will help, will help it stop swelling, I grew tired of it all. No, you got to keep it going. Don't get tired of it. This is great. This guy believes dark chocolate helps the, the government control node in your brain <laughs> from swelling to control you further. This is a guy you want to you write a little shit down. You could write a fucking book off this guy. Uh, one night, he, he gestured up into the sky. It was a cloudy night, but you could see the moon shining. You know the ring of light around the moon that appears on cloudy nights because of how light works? A halo of sorts? He told me 20 years ago there was no halo. I sarcastically asked if there were no cloudy nights 20 years ago. He told me the ring of light was caused by something behind the moon. I asked if such a thing behind the moon was shining, couldn't we see it every night? He said it wasn't shining. It was the shadow of whatever was behind the moon that we were seeing. I then asked him why a shadow was shining, as that is not typically a trait of shadows. After a brief pause, he just said, I don't know. I love it. Ask any wackadoodle enough questions about their beliefs and it is bound to end if the conversation just doesn't stop entirely with just a, I don't know. 
And finally, Fritz ends with, thank you for everything you guys do. I hope you enjoyed this lengthy read as much as I enjoyed experiencing these weird delusions. Have a blessed day. I will have a blessed day, Fritz. It got better because of that story. Thank you. My God. I hope he shares so many. Don't cut him off. Don't cut him off. He's just, uh, he's free entertainment. You have the best coworker you could possibly have. Uh, you know, wackadoodles, they can be dangerous, but they can also be very funny. Hail Nimrod, and thank you all for your messages. Thanks, time suckers. I needed that. We all did. Have a great week, everybody. Don't wander off into the darkest, creepiest parts of the forest this week. But if you do, definitely don't wander any homes with chicken feet for foundations, with skeleton fences. Run away from those as fast as you can. Get back home and keep on sucking. And then the little boy ended up in Baba Yaga's oven for he did not leave after the skeleton fence and the chicken feet house. He just wasn't real smart. And she cooked him up after she scrubbed him down in his clean wean and all that stuff and uh, just kind of ate him up and he was super delicious and uh, a lot of people eat kids. So uh, happily ever after in the end. Aw, mm-hmm. one more? No, now that's it. Go to fucking bed or I'll put you in the oven. Fucking talking a little shit. The legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. At Capella University. You'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.